Mr. Fixer was going to use naughty words and tell you no-no things, so you best walk away if you aren't wearing your big boy pants or big girl pants. Fix it likes them like that. Yeah, no, nah, dude, I get to ad-lib on this shit. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, this you get to ad-lib on. Go ahead. Fuck that, dude. Fucking pedophile <laughs> shit right there. <laughs> Welcome to Spawnometer, where we talk about Spawn comics for 22 minutes or less. For every page of the comic book, we get a minute to talk about the comic, or we can conserve our power for future episodes. And this episode, we're talking about... Issue 5, which is a Billy Kincaid... Origin story, I guess. I, well, it's he's definitely the focal point of this issue, with some callbacks to other problems that uh, Al has faced with other characters. So this issue starts out with Billy being released from prison and from what we've read in... Was he actually in prison or was he in a mental asylum? Yeah. Psych ward. Uh, He was being released because they now find him to be sane, which sends off, I believe, Burke and Twitch? Sam and Twitch. Sam and Twitch. There you go. Sam. Uh, Well, I think he he is Sam Burke though, right? I I thought that was his name, yeah. I think you're right, yeah. Well, we'll call him Sam. Send Sam off on a uh, tirade because they're releasing him because they feel he's been cured, but Sam... Sam says, you know, even though they cured him, there's still 20 kids missing from the neighborhood that he was from. Billy Kincaid's MO would be to drive around with an ice cream truck to lure small children in. I was a little confused because does he just kill them and chop them up or does he actually molest them? I thought he was committing cannibalism too, but (sighs) he was doing. It's it's the most horrid crime you can do. There's a very Ed Gein bent to uh, Billy Kincaid's shenanigans. So I think anything Gein did, he did. So there's a good chance that happened. He did really morbid shit with children's dismembered bodies. At one point, doesn't he dress up in drag too? Yeah, uh, yeah this this was a problematic issue for me. You could argue that they were doing Ed Gein. You could argue that he was that McFarlane was Mo- inspired by Silence of the Lambs. Well, I thought he was going for that Norman Bates. It's oriented towards transphobia. It's like, how do we make our serial killer that much more sick and twisted? I know, let's have him cross-dress. <sighs> That's the kind of shit you could do in the 90s. It would be extremely problematic today, and it's hard to read that shit today and let it go. I, I, I have an easier time with stuff like Sons of the Lambs, but here, when they make him such a caricature as it is, because he's a heavyset dude with a funky, pointy goatee, yeah. and they have him dressed up, not just as a woman, but he's dressed up as like a cartoonish version of a woman. He kind of yeah. looks like Elmira from Tiny Toons, and it's with just Rude. like... And all that stuff, like it, it, but, it, but it almost feels like it's played for comedy even more than it's played to give you that extra disturbing quality of the gender bend. It's an uncomfortable headspace to have to address 20 years after the fact. Yeah. And so, again, Sam is angry because he's being freed. He knows he's going to go back to his ways. There's no real way for them to control him. And you find out that, in a sense, he's almost like a hitman. It, it, it's kind of confusing. I think McFarlane was trying to get too many elements in because the dude, okay, he, he'd been in, incarcerated for like eight years and apparently he had like a really strong high-powered attorney yeah which is not the sort of thing I mean, hell he had an ice cream truck so how the hell does this dude get this stuff uh, apparently he got caught because he had found the daughter of senator paul jennings yes so he was in prison for all this time but he sh- he, sh- he should have gotten the death penalty but because jennings had been sm- 
weird and he had like well, the sex scandal yeah. and apparently the cops didn't do as good of a job with the investigation because this senator was so shady. Al Simmons actually got involved in the investigation because the senator still had connections with the government and was able to bring Al Simmons in to investigate this shit. You had the strong impression that somebody had actually hired Billy to steal that well, particular daughter. Well, well yeah, Jason like, Wynn. They, they alluded that oh, it was did, Jason, did Jason Wynn. Wynn specifically? Okay. Yeah, they, they so, alluded that it was Jason Wynn. So you're right, is he a hitman or a child killer? What the fuck is well, this guy? He's, they, he's they apparently what the story demands him to be in this particular instance. Well, to me, like I said, it, it seemed like Jason Wynn had pushed Billy in the direction of the senator's child because it was his daughter who was murdered and found and it was her body that was used to incarcerate him. It, she was the death that actually got people to finally find Yeah, him. like they found her in, I think, the lake under a bridge or something. Or well, they found the body before they found him, obviously. But apparently he did unspeakable things because it disturbed Sam and I remember there was a line that Sam says, I don't have a wife, I don't have kids and this outrages me more than anyone else. And Twitch reminds him, you know, I have seven kids and this bothers me too but, you know, Sam is taking this real personal. Mm-hmm. Well, it's that's another thing that gets me too is Sam has this major screed against the law and this guy's getting loud all on a technicality and shit and then the psychiatrist is so smarmy about it. He's like, well, we believe that he's cured and you can't hold him anymore because, you know, we've decided that he's no longer a threat to society so you can't continue to punish him. He's not guilty. It really feels like some like AM radio straw man argument about it's always the worst possible serial killer. He's going to get out of technicality because yeah. it's awful li- liberal li- legal system. We got to be hard on crime. And Todd was listening to Rush. Yeah, some kind of shit like that. And it feels like that's infested this comic. And it's political in a way that, again, makes me uncomfortable because it's um, very right skewing. The left is portrayed as being, if not ignoramuses, almost weak. complicit. It's almost like the doctor's happy about this guy getting off and stubbing his nose at the cops and shit. There's a weird anger here. I, I really feel like something vaguely similar to this must have happened and that Todd took it really fucking personal. Now, where I got lost is whenever the homeless person is killed in the alleyway. I wasn't sure what was going on there. I read yeah, it That was once. actually, yeah, that was that was a, a, an interesting thing. I think it was around this issue that they started to highlight that Al Simmons is a homeless person who hangs out with other homeless people it's and he tries them. to be standoffish but they're like no you're with us you're around us you're, I mean, we're, you're gonna have to let us be a part of your life because you're in our lives whether you like it or not and in one instance there is a cop on a high speed pursuit and his dad's uh, sleeping in the wrong place with newspapers and the cops basically run over him and don't even stop to look and see what happened because he's so beneath their notice or because they just don't even notice that he's there because yeah. he's not supposed to be there and all the other homeless guys are like god damn they kill us and they don't even pay attention that's how little we mean to the society that is a lefty point so I, I don't know where that came from, but it does kind of help to balance a little bit how right-leaning the politics of the episode issue was. Now, where I got a little confused is because they show Wanda picking up her daughter, Cyan, and she's super excited to see her mommy, and they're talking, and Al is interacting with this, or I guess in his mind, I'm like, I was confused by the panels, because you see Billy, and he's getting the urge to kill again. I'm assuming he killed a child, because they do show him pasting fingers to a piece of paper. Yeah, it's a pun where, oh, I saw love finger painting and he's yeah. actually pasting this little girl's fingers onto a piece of paper but he starts fantasizing which is like so fucking morbid man yeah, I, I, that, that bothered me but not for the reasons why i think it was meant to bother me it's like why would you that's way too far to go for this fucking well, comic book. I, it felt like this definitely was bond is still new and he's trying like we talked about earlier about image books he was trying to do stuff that marvel and dc wouldn't even touch he's trying to push the envelope yeah he definitely accomplished that and but the thing i didn't get was and again he had a whole arc in spider-man about child murders if i recall correctly wasn't wasn't the Wendigo being framed for the murder of children? Dude, it's been so long since I've read those. And then you also had that one little boy that was like half Hobgoblin, and that, that so you had that two issue arc with Ghost Rider. I'd have to reread those. It's been 
so long yeah. since I've read those books. Like literally yeah. when they came out. But again, um, I think the reason why McFarlane was superimposing or, or overlapping the scenes with Cyan with the scenes of the girl victim is to make sure you make the association that Spawn is interested in tracking this guy down in part because he's wanting to protect his wife's child. Cyan. But the thing I didn't get was Billy fantasizing about her? Cyan? Yeah. No, I don't think he knew Cyan. Okay, I think I, th- I that's where I got a little confused. I, I think it was just that he, they were making sure that you understood where Al was coming from in this situation that he's basically protecting this surrogate child of his because it was a child that he couldn't have. Yeah. Which again is a weird thing to do too because it's like wouldn't anybody want to stop a child murderer if they oh, had yeah. the power? So it's like you, you really but, need that motivation to make it as selfish as but that? But in the book you do get the Dirty Harry fantasy outcome where they're trying to find Billy they can't find him they go to his apartment and what do they find? They find him hanging from chains. No, it's not his apartment. Not what his, happens is uh, Sam and Twitch want to capture Billy so they start staking him out against policy because their captain said leave this guy alone you know you're gonna get us in trouble if you try to pursue him for crimes that he's no longer found guilty of so they're on their off hours they like take some vacation time and shit and they're hanging out in his neighborhood watching him and in a particularly disturbing moment Twitch actually sends one of his own children out um, a decoy yeah it's like dude that is fucking beyond wrong they make a point of him saying he has like seven children it's like so I guess he's got a spare that he can put out there as a dummy what the The fuck are you guys doing yeah that's that was this issue's got a lot of wrong in it and I'm not sure that's the worst wrong but it's way up there they're trying to stake out the place and then they spot Spawn going into the neighborhood and they're like holy shit because I think they still think he's the serial killer the heart surgeon so they see they're working together let's go bust them both and they go rushing in and the uh, house is empty because Spawn has taken Billy away and and when you see Billy next it's actually in Sam Burke's office that's right that's right okay and he's of course hanging from trees um, (laughs) from chains I'm sorry nude with ice cream sticks jammed into his body with a sign that said um, they scream I think it was boys screamed and girls screamed and Billy screamed and screamed and screamed yeah so they made it clear that he had been tortured to death by Spawn fucking wrong fucking issue this whole issue is just so full of wrong man yeah but that felt like that dirty hairy fantasy where you know we get the bad guy and we get him good and punish him yeah this actually was closer to what I expected Spawn to be from the very beginning kind of a yeah yeah because when I first was seeing Spawn I thought he was going to be because this is before I was into DC Comics so I imagine he was going to be sort of a Doctor Strange sorcery guy but more physical more action guy looking at it in reverse and having been a DC fan it's like oh I expect him to be the Spectre you know where he's a guy who's this cosmic force of vengeance and it really does kind of read a lot like an old uh, Paro uh, Michael Fleischer era Spectre story where part of the story is about the sadism of our hero exacting like this really cruel Old Testament vengeance against an evildoer and doing it in a way that's very EC comics twist you know ironic ending but also very grotesque yeah. and making sure the crime the punishment fits the crime but it's also really gross and it's got some fucked up like not unlike the Fleischer stuff because remember Fleischer sued Gary Groth and Harlan Ellison over them talking about how insane his Spectre stories were and basically implying that he must be fucked in the head to come up with those kind of stories Todd McFarlane is kind of coming at it from a similar perspective and I'm coming to similar conclusions like dude this is some fucked up shit man maybe you needed to pass this by an editor first because yeah you're doing shit you can't do it the majors but I'm not sure you should be doing it here either it's very dark morbid fucked up shit I think it was his I'm showing my stance on this stuff Mm -hmm. and I'm going to show that I'm going to go places where other books won't go Yeah, Yeah. and he's got a young child at home and it was like him having his revenge fantasy if something like that ever happened to his kid so I I, I get that I I just I, I do feel like it went way too far in parts though it's like 
The figure painting some was of the probably ima- one Some of the, of the imagery was a little... It crossed the line a bit. Some of the imagery. Like that, I don't have kids, but that would have definitely... If I had kids, that would, I think, affect me even more to see an image like that. I do think that this was book... He was trying to steer the book in the right direction where he was going for, you know... These are know. definitely the kind of stories Spawn should be involved yeah, in. Really yeah, really dark. Like the dark corners of the human mind and the psyche that, you know, Marvel and DC wouldn't touch. That's where you were supposed to... And it felt like that time to time. Like other Spawn stuff like we'll talk about hopefully in the future. I doubt we'll get to 155 but like down the line there were they were doing really fucked up stuff that i was even like damn this is uh this is really twisted but again i expected that from spawn well it was less clear in these early days since he was still serving superhero stories or trying to make sure to serve a superhero audience but as that's become less of a priority and less important he said it in the past and he's reiterated over and over again he really sees spawn as a horror story every time he goes back and revises spawn and takes him in a new direction it's almost always in a darker more horror centric direction and the movie that he's supposed to be directing in February he says is going to be a horror movie it suits that direction it definitely live is a horror animated. story live action really yeah mm. what kind of budget like 10 to 15 mil Ugh. so it's going to have to be a very small yeah, story almost an independent horror film very independent yeah like, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not sure if the Faust movie had a budget in that realm probably yeah, in that range I, I mean a CG alone which is something I want to talk a little bit about too is I, I saw it when I read the early Spawn issues I saw a lot of Jim Starlin-esque imagery you know I, I just couldn't all the skulls and the energy blasts and the befalling storytelling. I've never heard him acknowledge Jim Starlin as an influence, but I can very much see it there. But what I'm also seeing a lot of, because I've, I've started, I haven't finished it yet, but I started going back and rereading Faust. I never read all of Faust, but I, I'd read odd side issues. Like three issues. And yeah, I've got, I've got, I, I, in the reread, I've probably like three or four issues in the reread. And I got to tell you, I think that all the image guys, or at least a lot of the image guys, I think Todd McFarlane and, and Jim Valentino in particular, though, there's so much of a Faust influence in those stories. But Spawn especially his look and his attitude and the level of ultraviolence mm. the degree to which it's twisted and sadistic really does feel like a more mainstream cleaned up version of Faust to me because Faust was very similar he's this extreme vigilante who stalks in the shadows he's a homeless dude he's fixated on this woman that he had affection for before he died and was revived obviously Faust had much greater gore because they really went into the intestines and yeah. people were just being ripped to pieces and the lead character was much more of a madman than Al Simmons is but at the most basic level Faust and Spawn at this point are telling the same story in not dissimilar ways including the fact that Tim Vigil was an ultra detailed artist just as McFarlane was at that time it's too obvious I'm sure people have noticed this there's no way this went unnoticed but I don't remember reading anybody really ever talking about how similar these two projects were in the it's early in the time period and to this well, day Faust came out first didn't it yeah because I my uncle was the one that gave me the Faust books yeah Fa- I, Faust was another one where it was this small press book it was just too extreme nobody else would publish it it had to be published by this little small press publisher Tim Vigil had been working for companies like Greater Mercury, these little tiny bullshit operations. And then he hooked up with David Quinn and they self-published through, I think it's Rebel Studios, or Faust, which is the book that made their name and still the thing that both of them are most associated with. But it was this very extreme, dark story that always had readers because it, it just was so extreme and it was so well done. Such a involved project. Tim Vigil is another one of those books where I feel like Faust broke Tim Vigil the way that the Frankenstein portfolio broke Bernie Wrightson. He put so much detail so much effort into that story that he can't do that with the rest of his work because it would drive him insane or or, or he would his eyes would start bleeding or something because there's just so much intricate detail in those Faust issues that 12 issue arc is like a novel that tells a complete it's story 12 issues? I think it's 12 issues of the original run and then they had a whole bunch of spinoffs and stuff especially because they both ended up working at Avatar did they ever do a collection on it? I, you know I don't think they've ever 
or they, they may have collected parts of it. I'm not sure they've ever done a complete collection. I think it's something they've tried to get done. But again, the material, even to this day, is so extreme, so oh, I graphic. Know. I mean, that, I'd have to I'd have to touch base with it again. It's been so long. I mean, yeah. literally over 20 years ago that I've seen it. But I remember even then, I was just like, holy shit. Like this, you know, even though the artwork is black and white, it's still so vivid. Yeah. And again, Spawn is really extreme. And I'm obviously reacting very strongly to this particular issue. But compared to Faust, it's still child's play. You know, it's oh, yeah. just nowhere in that area. But I feel like that's a place where they were trying to go with it. And I think that influence is very strong in the Spawn, especially. Where are we at? Uh, close enough. I think we're done. Cool. Oh, uh, just a few odds and sides right quick. What did you think of the cover? I don't remember what the cover looked like. That's the one where Spawn's just squatting on the ledge. Batman-esque? Uh, yeah, not not a big fan of the cover. Uh, and I miss, I really do miss Kim Stacy's coloring. I, I love those weird hues that he, he uses. They're very distinctive to him. Somebody named Kiko colored that cover. And it, was, it looked like the interiors didn't really stand out. I just want to point out that the, I, I don't remember the guy's name, like Thaddeus E. Burns or something, the, the heavyset uh, right-wing pundit from mm-hmm. Spawn Comics that appeared in Shadowhawk, references Shadowhawk in relation to Billy Kincaid. He's like, hey, Shadowhawk, or hey, Spinebreaker yeah. Killer, how about you check in on Billy Kincaid? Uh, the Spawnometer in this issue reads 8092. Uh, if you look in Science Crib, she has dolls of Felix the Cat and Cerebus. A little foreshadowing there. Okay. Oh, it, very important backstory. Al Simmons was hired by the Senator. Oh, wait, we did with that already. He, yeah. Al Simmons is the one who caught him. So. Yeah. And Al remembers that, too. He has a, like a yeah, major well, flashback they, well, they do a, that the happened. Three little uh, panels where he kind of gives you the little rundown of how yeah. he thinks it was working out. Uh, the the issue was, the story was titled Justice. It was dedicated to the memory of Will Eisner. And I have to say, too, that I, I don't know if we've mentioned Tom Orzakowski's lettering, but this dude has to pack a fuck ton of writing into panels. Tom McFarlane was overriding like a madman on that comic. They're just these gigantic text pieces. And Tom Zorzakowski has a really great lettering style where he manages to not make that oppressively overly mm-hmm. lettered because it's so oppressively overwritten. His lettering, it's just a credit to how good he does of a job of making that stuff work and making all that text look interesting. So, all done. Cool. I think the guys that stand out are the guys, it's so into them, it's bursting out of their head, you know, I mean, there's always new ideas. When I talk to my editors at Marvel or anyone I'm working with creatively, they always say, you know, slow down, slow down, because I'll get ahead of myself and they'll say, wait, we have to take care of these six points before you bring up six more points. You know, when you have good ideas, you want to cram them all, all at once. You want to go, oh man, I want to show the kid this, this month too. You know, you One start- thing we forgot to mention, you also do your own plots, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do all the plots. So you I- not only draw the strip, but you come up with the idea for the story. It's, essentially, it's, you write, you know, it's writing the story. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that I've ever been like a wordsmith. Smith. I mean, I, I have a tendency to stutter and get. You I know, know you're doing pretty good now. Yeah, exactly. I hate the idea that you're showing me up, but we'll talk about that <laughs> but, later. But anyway, I figured, why not let somebody who's better with that handle that? And Marvel, so someone Marvel else puts fun. in the dialogue oh, yeah. and the yeah. captions. Yeah. You come up with the basic plot, you draw it, and then somebody puts in sure. the words yes. you read on the and, page. And you know what? I have no desire. Maybe one day I'll get a whole bunch of courage up and put words in their mouth. But I think that would just probably ruin the picture as a whole. Right now, what I'm good at is coming up with plots and creating stories and situations. Mm-hmm. But but if they got to, if I had to be the guy who put the words in their mouth to talk and speak, they'd, they'd be, <laughs> it'd be gibberish. Hey, everybody, welcome to Spotometer. So, uh, what else you want to talk about? Are we talking about Rob Liefeld in general? I'm a legal machine.
I'm, I'm just clicked because I'm clicking through. I, I searched Youngblood comic number one just to kind of look at some different pages in it. Mm-hmm. And there's a shot of the entire Youngblood team and somebody's basically just written over each character with who they actually fucking are. So you got <laughs> the thing instead of the, and then a storm next to what's her name? What was the chick? Riptide. Riptide. Uh, then Wolverine over that one guy. Which, Iron which the cougar guy? They did with the brown hard, hair and the white over, streak? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And that he's actually yeah. Timberwolf from the Legion of Superheroes. So okay. the guy uh, that Wolverine ripped off, he's a rip off of the original guy that Wolverine ripped off. And then he's got Punisher over Chapel, Cable nah, over. No, nah, no, nah, I, I beg to differ. Chapel is Bushmaster, the arch nemesis of Moon Knight. Okay. The same Hawkeye. thing. The black dude who's a mercenary who paints a white skull on his face. He's Bushmaster. Make your own damn meme, okay? So, okay. Hold on. We're, we're, or, starting, or, we're starting over. You, yeah, you, fact, you fucked you, it all up. No, you, you introduce it and tell us, tell people what, what you're talking about. Do we have like an opening, like, Welcome to Marvel? We don't have anything like that, right? Wouldn't you, you've heard the Spawnometer before. You yeah. know how it works. Oh, yeah. Most episodes, except for the one where we had oh, really so bad audio. Spawnometer. Okay. Yeah. So okay. we're going to do Spawn number five, and then I'll probably do the Youngblood theme, which I think is really cool, actually. I really like the, 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 the Youngblood theme. One? That. It's very like kind of ominous, but it still feels like a superhero team song. The only one I remember is Wildcats, Wildcats, Wildcats. Okay, Wildcats, that's another Wildcats. episode, though. I'm just saying, fact, it, it, depending on how bad that uh, was the, old, the, the spawn, old... spawning ground everything goes, it might be the seventh episode. But it's planned. Wildcats is supposed to be on okay, our next. But my episode. point is, the only Image Comics cartoons I've ever seen were Wildcats and Savage Dragon. I didn't know that. Young well, Blood... But that's what I'm saying. The Young Blood cartoon never came out. Yeah, no, I'm saying, I didn't even know it was out there. Like I can't. There, there was anything in existence. Yeah, that it, it didn't get picked up. Roustout Studios produced a minute, minute and a half for okay, so the Young Blood animation. Even have like a full no, no, no. They were oh, full episode. Okay, I thought you know, like there was yeah. like a full episode, it, like you could watch. It's on YouTube. Uh, it was in. They, were, they did a comic book video magazine. It was in that, and then there were also some stuff released online. Okay, so we'll use. So that anyway, when play us in with that music now. And then after that music, we're going to come back in and you're going to start talking about the first issue of Youngblood. The more popular home team dealt with domestic disturbances and was featured on the iconic Youngblood number one cover. They were led by former FBI agent Jeff Terrell, codenamed Shaft, introduced on a mall date with his assistant DA girlfriend. The archer shared the Marvel villain Bullseye's ability to turn any object into a lethal projectile, as demonstrated when he killed a would-be assassin by flicking his big pen a hundred feet into the dude's throat. I'm not, I don't think he had an inker. I think Lightfield might have been inking himself on those so, books. So, I mean, no, you, you shouldn't. Have, he shouldn't been doing any of that. You should have delegated all that stuff. If I remember correctly, I think Brad Van Cotta was inking him on X Force, but with Young Blood, especially in the first few issues, I think he did virtually everything himself. I'm not, in fact, in the early issues, there's not even the credited letterer, so I'm not sure who so the fuck was doing lettering. Too? I don't know. What I can tell you is the lettering on the early issues of Young Blood was fucking horrendous. Grab that Young Blood number one and look at how bad the lettering is. Because I know you guys make fun of me sometimes for it's like, how the fuck are you even paying attention to lettering? But I think it's hard to miss the lettering in that issue. Other than the bubbles look a little crammed, I'm not really sure where. 
where the criticism of the lettering is. Okay. I guess I'm too much of a lettering aficionado. Apparently. Well, toss it over to fix it so that he can see, too. I agree with Mac. <laughs> I guess it's just so. me and Augie Blake that notice lettering. Dude, yes. I can see that. So it's it's really bad, though, guys. The one thing that bothered me, honestly, this is going to sound weird. In the book with Layfield's artwork, the picture of Shaft running in blue jeans, and he has these huge, massive, feminine thighs. It just seemed really... I remember kept looking at it like, it looked so weird to me. Rob Liefeld should not draw jackets, ever. Bro, those are just parachute pants, man. Come on, don't forget the year. Nah, I think hammer pants were dead by then. All of Rob Liefeld's jackets looks like PVC pipe. The rest of the team was introduced deliberately in spotlight scenes by name. They show Bad Rock at home with his mom, and they allude that he is a child in this giant thing body. Die Hard was basically the Vision or Red Tornado robot member of the team, but with much more generic powers. He's a cyborg or a robot. He flies around. He has a super strength, but he also is a patriotic character from the 40s, and he's got a shield that he throws. So you've read comics? Yeah, I loved the comics oh, when cool. I was young. Okay. But this one is so different. I'm seeing cats get out of bed with women. That hey. never happened. <laughs> Yeah, well. Chapel was a grim and gritty reimagining of Mr. T's B.A. Baracus character from the A-Team. He was introduced throwing his latest one-night stand out of bed when duty called. Finally, and intentionally belatedly to prove she was at no one's beck and call was Vogue. She's a former Russian gymnast with a vendetta against the KGB turned purple-haired fashion model superheroine. The home team was called to action when members of the supervillain group The Four attempted a jailbreak. We don't actually get to see much of the fight against Strongarm, Gage, Deadlock, and Starbright, though. Die Hard appears and apparently beats the shit out of all of them. So he's Superman, Cap, Iron Man, all mixed in one. He's a company man, definitely. And he's, I'm assuming, probably the most powerful character in the Youngblood organization. Because Among the more powerful characters, there are a bunch of half and full page splashes before the story ends on a centerfold shot of the home team without anything actually being resolved. Then we flip the book over for the story of the less loved away team that dealt with foreign crises. And he would eventually spin off into the short-lived Team Youngblood title. This group also had the older characters Sentinel, Cougar, Sci-Fire, Photon, Riptide, and Brahma with the newer creation Combat who despite dressing like Acroyer from the Micronauts was actually a giant alien warrior who might as well have been a Klingon. Wait, and who's the leader of that team? That Sentinel. Is Sentinel the... is uh, Sen- Jim Rhodes. Right. Who doesn't wear his helmet, which doesn't make sense because you'd think you'd like splatter your entire head off at some point because you're wearing power armor without a helmet on. In their first story, they dismantled the forces of Middle Eastern despot Hassan Hussein, and he was assassinated by Sci-Fire via scanner-style exploding head about 14 years ahead of the execution of his real-world counterpart. The Fury is the power that holds the key to all power. My understanding was he was supposed to be brought in alive. Mm-hmm. Battalion wanted him alive. Well, not just that. Youngblood aren't supposed to be there. Oh, that's so it's bad enough that they're even there. They're not even supposed to. Nobody's supposed to know that they're there. And they killed the guy they were supposed to capture. True. It seems like this is not a shock to the team because the team are like, oh, here we go again. He's doing it again. I strongly believe that Rob Liefeld either saw Brian De Palma's movie The Fury, which has a very similar circumstance. It's a kid with telekinesis who his father is ex-military, special forces yeah. or something. And his father appears to be killed by Middle Eastern terrorists. He's brought in by a shady government organization who start warping his mind and making him a weapon that they can use against enemies of the state. By the way, it's Kirk Douglas who's the dad. Meanwhile, his dad is trying to let his son know that he's alive and trying to save him and also trying to save other people that have supernatural powers along the lines of Firestarter Wait, and stuff. I was about to say, this sounds like you're literally describing Firestarter. Yeah, except this was years before Firestarter. Really? Firestarter came out around 82, 83. The Fury came out around, I think, 78 or so. But I don't know when the Firestarter book 
book came out. So one way, and so what ends up happening is Kirk Douglas finds a girl, Amy Irving, who was in Carrie, which is another movie that Stephen King related with about a girl with telekinetic powers. Yeah. She has telepathy. She, I think she can see the future and she has a psychic connection to his son. He, he's using the Amy Irving character to try to find his son. And at the end of the Fury, the guy is facing off against the evil, shady government agent guy and they're both hovering in the air and the kid uses telekinesis to make this guy completely explode into pieces. And I saw that movie. It was one of the first movies I ever saw on cable in the early, early 80s. So it was very formative for me. Years later, I saw the movie Scanners, David Cronenberg yeah. movie, which also ends with a character's head being exploded by a person with psychic powers. This time That's it's Peter, Michael Ironside's in that one. Peter Weller's in that one, isn't he? He might be, but I, Michael Ironside's the one I most remembered from that one. So whether Liefeld was inspired by The Fury or Firestarter or Scanners, it was definitely of in that uh, vein. Influence. And most directly, though, it resembled The Fury to me. How's The Fury hold up now? It's okay. It's a little slow, but it's still De Palma. Okay. So I, I gotta I'm, check it out. I, uh, I don't the, think I've ever seen it. Well, the funny thing, again, I don't really like Scanners in part because I saw The Fury first, and it's the earlier movie. So it's too similar, and I just prefer The Fury. But I love both David Cronenberg and Brian De Palma. I try to show up for those guys, but De Palma, especially in that time period, was just on fire. And I thought he did a great job with the movie. It's a little slow. It has 70s pacing for a movie, but it's got its good bits. It's very cheesy, though. It's much cheesier than either of the well, other two well, movies. Well, let's be honest, man. For 1970s technology, I'm pretty sure that was... But the exploding body is actually really good. Okay. And, well, and De Palma does it in slow-mo, too, so he really relishes the gore. Okay, I'm going to have to give it a shot. Thank you for bringing that up. And what's funny to me is that was an R-rated movie, and yet one of the reasons why Dawn of the Dead got an X rating was because of the exploding head in it. So I don't know why you can explode an entire body and it's okay, but you can't explode a head. Youngblood's involvement was kept secret, and Kusain's death was reported as a suicide. This was probably during, what, Desert Shield? Because it was so short-term, I think that that was already over with by the time Youngblood came out. Because I think that was 91, and Youngblood was probably being part produced in 91 but it didn't come out until 92 Youngblood number one came out on April 17th 1992 and then three months later number two came out so you bought number two yeah I bought I, number two I've also I pre-ordered number two and I, I need to give a quick synopsis of this since uh, I, I did solo the first issue so you got these characters called the Berserkers in a place called Otherware what's interesting about the Berserkers is that if I remember correctly these were the characters that got Liefeld to quit Marvel because the team that he was trying to sell in, in the comic buyer's guide ad that I vaguely remember I don't know if I saw the ad or I think I would have did is I saw a reprint of that ad that was going to be in his art book that also never came out the team that they now call the Berserkers in Youngblood number two I think that's the same team that he was going to try to swipe his X-Men work with imaginatively the big gray guy is called gray the guy who looks like Jim Lee drawing Hank McCoy is the beast but with part of his blue fur changed to white he's wild mane then you've got a, a woman who's got white hair and an eye patch of course she's battle axe besides the being sexist her weapon isn't actually an axe it's like this big weird sword thing and then you've got this dude who's named cross and he's totally kane aka the the new version of weapon x they introduced next force the guy who could shoot his hands off like a fucking shogun warrior and shit and the thing that differentiated him is he had a big x on his jacket but since the jacket was open it wasn't really an x so i'm guessing he was supposed to be the executioner when yeah. it was coming out and he like cable he's got a cross over his eye instead of a star it's a cross but liefeld couldn't keep straight which eye had the cross scar so it kept going back and forth throughout his appearances oh and then you've got a red-headed telepath Psy Storm so she's clearly Jean Grey yeah and the leader of the team or like one of the, the key members who has apparently been kidnapped by the, a bad guy and they're trying to rescue this dude his name is Kirby and he's a short older guy with a big cigar and the issue is dedicated to the memory of Jack 
Kirby. Or actually, I think he was, Kirby was still alive, so he was just dedicated right. to him. So he probably so hated he, it. So he actually has a character who's based on Jack Kirby, yeah. Who probably hated it. No, I, I, I think that Jack Kirby would have been honored. Most of these image, a lot of these image books at some point dedicated themselves to Jack Kirby. And Jack's a guy who got fucked by Marvel, got fucked by DC, was one of the early guys trying to make something happen in the independent press. But by that point, his story dimmed and they still hadn't gotten their shit together. So he didn't get to capitalize on creator owned projects the way a lot of other creators would ultimately get to, especially the image creators. So I think he'd have done nothing but had been oh, happy gotcha. for these guys to have, have gotten there, certainly over any corporation. I, he would, I think Kirby would have always favored an individual artist getting paid and getting recognition without having to deal with a goddamn publisher. I think he hated comic publishers by the end. He got to deal with Tops to put out his own comics, but I think that's just because they were the only ones offering. I mean, he tried to set up an image book. He did Phantom Guard toward the end of his life. I think he actually died shortly after the first issue came out. So he actually he did have an image book out there. What's his name? That uh, the writer Casey. Um, Joe Casey. Joe Casey. Is that his book? His God's book? Uh, Godland is Joe Casey and Tom Scioli doing their best impersonation of 70s Jack Kirby. Okay. It's not in any way indebted to oh, Jack I don't, Kirby I know that, financially. But I know the style. The art yeah. style is very similar. Oh, very much so, yeah. And see, the one person who's not pictured as a member of the Berserkers is a character called Dark Angel, spelled as one word with a C. And, and apparently he'd been killed earlier on, and he was killed by the Big Bad, who was named Dark Thorn. So that's not confusing at all. And so then we go and we see Dark Thorn and get a load of this dude. Look at him, tiny, tiny feet. Tiny, tiny. Look at how big his legs are. Yeah. When you're reading these comics at first, especially if you're a 90s kid, especially if you're, the majority of your comics reading had been Marvel X-Men type stuff, I didn't realize how indebted these creators were to stuff that I hadn't read. You know, I, like if I'm, I'm looking at Greg Capullo do a drawing of Cable on his knees with a gun and shells all around him, I can see, oh yeah, that's him riffing off Michael Golden or Mike Zack doing a G.I. Joe type image. But I didn't recognize looking at this, Darkthorn is Darkseid. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, but, but, I mean, Darkseid is such a character type in comics, even by the 90s, he was already such a character type in comics, that I'm not like thinking, oh yeah, this guy's Darkseid. I'm thinking, oh, he's a big maniacal villain type, a big bad, tough guy with a lot of powers and stuff. But I'm not necessarily connecting it to Darkseid. But in rereading the comic, I realized, no, this is fucking Darkseid. <laughs> 100% Darkseid. Kirby had unique anatomy as well. Kirby was not an anatomically correct artist. He took liberties with the human form that were exciting and new and nobody had ever done it before. But it's still a very unique take on human anatomy. And I think that this is Liefeld trying to emulate Jack Kirby's weird-ass anatomy and going even weirder-ass than either one of them would normally have done. But I don't realize, like, the purple guy that's in the background, he is the sod. They don't actually name this guy in the story. I don't know if he ever gets named. It's the sod. Later on, you see him running around with a purple cloak and everything. Now, this is where you flip the script on me. I read the first issue of the original Youngblood. Back in the 90s, Back sure. in the 90s. And then you told me that they had redone the first four issues? Technically, the first five issues. First five issues. Now, my understanding is you told me they cut yeah, like, okay, the Yeah, okay. Let me give you the premise. Okay. Thank you. So, back in 87, I think it was, when Youngblood was originally supposed to come out, when Megaton was going to put out Youngblood, it was going to be written by Hank Cannells, who was a buddy of Liefeld's and who went on to get a position at Wildstorm and now he's got a position at DC Comics. But he scripted the first issue of Youngblood from a Rob Liefeld plot. Liefeld plotted and scripted issues Wait, two, this is 87. Three, okay, hold on. 
the first special that was supposed to come out from Megaton in 1987, okay. where it was life held before he ever had a published work from a major company, except for maybe doing some work on the Legion Who's Who stories. He might have done some of that before then. He was supposed to produce this special, which I assume still exists. It may have actually been drawn and everything else and written, but Hank Candles was writing that one. When they were going to redo Youngblood for the 90s and Liefeld was a name brand and was coming off of X-Force's millions of copies sold and stuff, they redid Youngblood number one with the two teams and in the first issue it was scripted by Hank Candles, the guy who was going to do the book back in the day. People had a bad reaction to Hank Candles' writing, including I believe Liefeld because oh, wow. even before I know Youngblood number two was late but it was still in production by the time any feedback would have come in on Youngblood number one. Youngblood number two featured a script by Liefeld. He plotted it and scripted it. He did the same thing with issues three and four and then with issue five he plotted it with a script by Eric Stevenson which was one of Eric Stevenson's first writing jobs at Image Comics. Eric Stevenson today is the publisher of Image Comics. So Liefeld was never happy with the writing on the initial Youngblood issues. So what he did is he decided to get a professional writer Joe Casey who at that time was doing a Youngblood reboot series for him and have him take the original pages of Youngblood, do whatever he wanted to with those pages, reorganizing them and re-script them and basically redo the story from scratch to a large degree. I mean, mostly keeping the plot, but completely redoing the dialogue, all I, the narrative yeah, stuff. The dialogue definitely felt different. And it definitely changed how the storytelling progressed. Casey went and he rearranged all the pages, stuff's in different places, and it's now cutting back and forth between the two themes throughout the story. Did he actually go in there? Did they cut parts of art from pages and move them away? <laughs> that, or did he just take a page and say, I'm going to re-put the dialogue new on this mm -hmm. and we're going to put it in a different place and mm -hmm. kind of tell a story by just simply moving a comic book page. The second one. Okay. No artwork was altered for the new story. Just dialogue. Re-lettered and recolored. Yeah. So that so when I ask you to tell me the, the synopsis of Youngblood, you're not synopsizing the original miniseries. You're synopsizing the hardcover edition that came out in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. The first page of the revised issue of Youngblood is the first page of the second issue of the original Youngblood. And in that issue, they introduced a team called the Berserkers. And then supposedly that group gets trapped in a crash tunnel, which is Liefeld's version of a boom, boom tube. tube. And then they're never seen again. Except because they never edited the artwork, they are seen again. They're just trying to pretend like they're different characters. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it goes into showing Shaft at the mall. In the, the original mall. version, Shaft was dating a DA. And in the new version, it's a model. Because they, I don't think he ever really developed the DA character, it works because it makes him seem more like a celebrity because how many FBI agents do you know who date fashion models? Yeah. You know, True. The, I guess we'd call them B-team, young B. I, I, that's why I like to say, I, I think that most people are most familiar with the home team. Okay, so the home team. And the domestic heroes. I try not to minimize them though because the away team, the international team, do get spin, spun off into a, their own book, Team Youngblood. So that if you want to differentiate the two of them, okay, I would young say Youngblood and Team Youngblood. Young it seems like they have multiple different teams. You have your Youngblood, which is your revenue generating t-shirts, toys. It's it's your product the line. The media team. Yeah, that's your product line that you have all these things based off of. And then you have these kind of secret teams that are actually doing work, like wet work. And yeah, I, I disagree. I think that they are both media whores and they're both black no, ops. They, no, because they keep talking about how the other team, that they don't, they're not even supposed to be on a mission. They're like, wait a minute, why are they on a mission? We don't well, know there's a mission. You, they're cutting back and forth. Yeah. So you spend some time, you spend, and I like that. I, I think it gave the book more momentum because one of the problems I had when I read Youngblood number one when it first came out is you read the domestic team story and it just stops just as the fight's getting started between Youngblood and the four. And then you read the international team story and they tell you the whole story on that one but it's these characters that they don't tell you anything about getting into a fight with Saddam Hussein and killing him. I, I didn't feel like either one of those stories was very satisfying on their own. One of the things I liked about the hardcovers they cut back and forth between the two of them so that it has more momentum. The abrupt ending of Youngblood number one's 
this domestic side doesn't feel so bad because they pick up a thread from later issues of the comic and so it feels more of a piece and also what I like too is Casey did a much better job of giving you a sense of who the characters were on the international side which I felt was very lacking the first time around there's more development in this one you get more a like, lot more characterization yeah I, I understood Shaft was the character who hated his fame he wanted to be a real hero I get the sense of who Riptide is she's somebody who's here to do the job but she gets tired of being in these situations that she's not comfortable with and Brahma's like this young dumb kid yeah. who's gung-ho about showing off but he really doesn't have the stuff yet and he gets knocked out pretty quickly as a result Casey the, does in shorthand gives you a better sense of who these people are I actually was more concerned with Chapel because he actually came off as this dude's gonna go batshit crazy real fast somewhere in the team he's gonna want which one is Chapel was he a spawn villain you could say that he's the guy who's a mercenary mercenary yeah but he has no superpowers he's just a great big black dude now granted some of this could be from my interactions with him from other books you really get a sense that he's not stable okay so Chapel he's in bed with a woman in the original version he's like bitch I'm done with you clear out your shit I gotta go and in that case there was a black woman and there's a strong sense of misogyny and a very dismissive quality to Chapel toward this black woman in the revised version they recolored her as a white woman and when he dresses up as Chapel it's because he has been called to duty but he's like you know hey baby I gotta go work I'll come back later on and she's like wow you look so great I wish we'd fucked while you were still dressed up yeah. as Chapel it's weird to me how different that was it, it, that anything, I thought that they toned down Chapel's darkness and also it just bothered me that they went from him being with the black woman to being with a white woman and became a better guy while he was with a white chick it's almost like there's a subtext to box. that well I mean the telekinesis character or the sci-fire sci-fire I mean he's a villain right yeah he's a bad dude okay, he's a, he's a murderer just, yeah because just reading this I mean he's gonna go back like every, it seemed like they had villains amongst their team I'm glad you explained it to me a little bit more because it was really confusing because you have the alien to the two Wolverine or the Wolverine slash beast battling and they're talking about some outside forces that are invading earth you have I guess Senator Kelly here talking about the team well they give you an, a better overview because when you read Youngblood 1, 2, 3, 4 here's a story about the home team versus the four that never gets finished here's the away team killing uh, Saddam Hussein the second issue here's the away team in Berlin dealing with a whole other character and a whole other story that doesn't resolve here's the third issue you've missed a big battle in the midst b- between issues two and three you don't know what the story is yeah. it's a bunch of episodes that don't seem to like connect as a whole it really what felt weird to me too is when you get to the end of the books on the online one it just stops and I, I kept feeling like maybe they should put another panel or something and it did that on several of the books which I well, did not like and here's the thing you have to take into account though the original versions of Youngblood despite the high print runs are not available to be purchased in a digital media not legally in any way if you try to buy Youngblood what they've done is they took the hardcover which they turned into four chapter hardcovers supposed to be told as a complete story and they sell you the individual chapters mm-hmm. which are varying lengths you know I think this one was like yeah this one is like 48 pages yeah and, and then, this one and is then, like 28 pages and there's one like 14 pages yeah they, like they, 18 pages I, and, I, and honestly so I'm the reason I had that question about what was the point sometimes it felt like one was long like you got a story and then something was short mm-hmm. and I felt like something was missing because they didn't have the same consistency of level like yeah. you expect to have 32 pages and, or 22 pages or really 22. a story yeah I think Youngblood number one was extra long because I, I don't think it had a lot of that so I think it was roughly 30 odd pages in the original version and then they took elements of issue number two and issue number three and put them into issue number one so that made that one extra long yeah. plus they're cutting back and forth between the two teams and then you get to issue number two and it's most of issue number two in its entirety except for the sections they took out involving the berserkers yeah and then as this issue, issue progresses we see that it's set in east germany and i like that they made a point of that too remember when there were two germanys yeah and see that that wasn't the case anymore by this point it should have been like lowercase east germany but it's treated as though east germany still exists the young blood away team is there to pick up i guess they've discovered or some 
Yosemite has discovered a super soldier, Jonathan Taylor Prophet, in suspended animation at this lab. And apparently this guy's been around since the war. And they give you this whole history of this dude. Basically, there was a scientist, Dr. Garnett Wells, who was so far in advance of what anybody else was doing. They thought he was like a mad scientist. And they thought his stuff was completely unethical and uncredible. But it totally works. He actually manages to create this super soldier who, for some reason, has shortcut brown hair in the flashback sequences. But whenever we see him in the comic, he's got purple hair that matches purple uniform. And this dude's just like a genetic marvel. He's He's got strength and stamina, and he's way more powerful than anybody else in that time period. Apparently, he goes back to World War II. And then I, but I don't know if they don't make it clear if he actually had adventures in World War II or not. It's just clear that he's now currently in suspended animation. I never got it clear if he existed as a living being before, like if if he was a Steve Rogers or if he was created from scratch by the scientist. Similar character to Shadowstar from uh, his X-Force books as well. I guess kind of. I hadn't thought oh, about that. The, He's got the, the same headgear. Yeah. And, and, he, and, and they're both like genetically altered warriors, right? Yeah. And it's also weird. I remember finding it very weird at the time, too, is this guy totally looks like a contemporary Rob Liefeld character, but he's supposed to have been around back in the 1940s. Because I'm not sure what the whole face padding thing is for. Like, it isn't, isn't it like football or, or boxing? Like when you're sparring? I, I'm assuming so, but... It's, it's like just, to take a blow, right? Yeah, but it just it looks really weird because it actually looks like it's part of his face. Because if you look at it, his hair is actually coming out of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So he has not, like a weird strap like, on the back of it or something. It yeah. doesn't look like he'd be very stable in combat. Yeah, it just it seems really... I think he's... I, I really believe he just redrew Shadowstar, seven foot tall with purple costumes. Me as a guy who never played sports, though, it never occurred to me that you would have to actually have it reinforced in the back of the head. You couldn't yeah. just like have it, you know, like a barrette. Unless you're planning to take lots of blows to the face. And so they're supposed to be transporting the suspended animation profit back to the United States from East Germany. Maybe it's because the, the reunification and the Germans wanted to get this guy out out of there or something or maybe the americans insisted on getting him out of there now they had access to him because i guess he went up with the wall and so they leave this dude with combat the big wannabe kund slash klingon and then cougar who was their wannabe feral wolverine yeah, yeah, kind of guy one, yeah. and so they're fucking around with the machine for no good reason and they actually managed to break profit out of suspended animation on accident he immediately doesn't know whether or not these guys are the disciples the people he has to fight and they're like oh we're gonna put you back in suspended animation so they actually attack him he hasn't done anything wrong they just they released him from his suspended animation but they go and fucking attack him and he, so he's more than holding his own against them he's pretty much beaten these guys and then other members of Youngblood show up but around the same time the disciples finally show and it turns out the disciples are these guys this big mech gear they look like something off Robotech not quite so big they're just much larger than normal size and so these are the disciples but it's funny too because at one point the combat dude he shouts by the ghost of Chrome and you realize <laughs> he's actually referencing Chrome He's one. Yeah. He's like a wannabe Conan type as well. And it's so funny that it's Chrome and it's spelled K H R O M. My God, Liefeld really knows what age he's living with. He's like like naming the age here. <laughs> so the disciples of Doom start to attack the Youngblood team, and then immediately as that's happening, Kirby and the Berserkers, because Kirby's been rescued. I think I forgot to mention that part because it doesn't matter. I mean, they never actually got around to rescuing Kirby. Kirby had already rescued himself, and they just sort of meet in the middle as they were in the midst of this rescue operation. And so this group has come from the otherware to our Earth. So that they can help us fight the Disciples of Doom. So the issue ends on a double page spread of the Berserkers 
was charging against the disciples of boom announcing it's berserkin time and this is kirby saying this and there's even like hype at the bottom for the next issue and what then it ends with enough said dudes so issue number two had three splash pages one half smash and five double page spreads including two where it's just a single image it was just so gratuitous because the book was so goddamn late and because i'd bought a whole bunch of other image stuff that i really hated including brigade was out yeah. by the time that came out i, I don't know if they re-solicited young blood or if the solicitations were just so old that uh, i managed to get out in front of it so i managed to go this book sucks and i've done with young blood with issue number two and that's as far as i got in the original publication didn't feel bad about it either i think i stuck on to blood strike brigade Stormwatch. there's one more book i know there's one more book troll oh fuck you're around for troll huh dude i well, have well, an art page of troll okay hold that thought because we're gonna get to troll at some point in the future so we're introduced to Prophet, who apparently the Hussein character was keeping as a weapon. One oh. of the devices that is being held by Saddam Hussein. He, it's one of the weapons of mass destruction that yeah. he's got hidden. No one wants to fuck with the container that has Prophet in there because they're all scared because they all kind of know he's some kind of weapon. They're just not sure what he is. Brahma thinks he's going to take him out. They do this whole head-on collision. You, you, you haven't said, we should probably say who Brahma is. He's Honestly, I thought he was like a football player first because he kept calling Sentinel Coach. Come on, put me in, Coach. I can do this, Coach. And I was like... Which I don't think was in the original comics either but it does okay. tell you who he is so he's just like the big guy who's like overly anxious about fighting people and then he always gets his ass handed to him and then Rip- Riptide oh. is, is the woman who controls water yeah. and is real snarky toward Brahma Sentinel is the dude who runs around in the power armor but wasn't there a character another African American character named Battalion I think it sounds right but I can't quite place it so three months later issue number three comes out the entire away team has already been defeated in a bloody fashion for some reason Life decided let me put blood coming out of people's eyes and stuff so between issues two and three, the entire team of Berserkers and the entire Youngblood away team have been beat the fuck. They look like they're dead or lying on the floor. And the only band standing is Prophet. So you're like, wait, whose name is on the title of this book? Because apparently Prophet's the badass person that we need to be paying attention to. Also, because of the way they're talking, you realize that Disciples of Doom are basically the Borg. You know, they're like, okay. they're like we will assimilate. Or the Daleks. You know, they're, they're your total already cliche. We're robots who are trying to destroy you or assimilate all of humanity. And so after spending several pages with Prophet and the Borg in this final combat, they just completely drop that storyline, go to Washington, D.C., and now we're with Shaft and Bedrock talking about their media appearances, interview with Maria Shriver, and when is uh, Shaft going to go to hair and makeup, and Shaft doesn't have any time for that bullshit. They need his, get his approval on the action figures, and Bedrock's like, yeah, you know, you, you should be happy. They've got four Shaft figures. Shaft is like the most popular toy in the line. And he's like, man, this is totally exploitative. They shouldn't be parting kids with their money. And like, Bedrock's like, oh, like I like it, you know. I I, yeah. I bought all four. They're really cool. Wait, you mean Bad Rock? No, Bedrock. I know he's yeah. still Bedrock. We're gonna talk about that. Okay. And so there's this dude that they call Timer, who is a very ambiguous looking fellow, especially by '90s standards. Even though he looks like he's a young guy, he's got white hair that's really poofy, but then he's got a, a shave all like to the skin all the way around the sides from his ears down, and then he's wearing a white shirt with pink polka dots a bow tie suspenders brown khaki pants and glasses and he's the guy who's like keeping up with all their appearances and he's like managing their media presence and everything else that's why he's called timer because things are going to be very on the nose here and so he shuffles the two heroes to a press conference where they're being questioned by guys like clark kent and a character who i think is named jessica talkwell she's the asian 
newscaster from the Spawn comic yeah. reading. They're asking him questions about the Dragon Man, the Phantom sightings in New York City, and the Spinebreaker vigilante killings on the East Coast. So it's funny you're seeing Shadow them Hulk. get all these. Uh, uh, well, in the Phantom, I assume is not the jungle Spawn. action hero, but Spawn. Yeah, they're referring to these guys as hyper-powered individuals, which doesn't work. But apparently the Youngblood team themselves don't like it when you refer to all superpowered beings as Youngbloods. Yeah, but I don't think hyperpowered is going to catch on either. They also talk a lot about the upcoming November elections, about whether or not George Bush was going to get reelected. They talk about the recession, and, and they're asking him a lot of probing questions about Hassan Hussein. Shaft insists he took his own life. Youngblood team wasn't even in the country. They were they, they were not needed. We're not the government's personal assassins. Totally lying through his teeth. It turns out the four, the villains that were in the first issue of Youngblood, they've been captured, and they're being held in a maximum security vault in the Pentagon. And so for starters, again, the vault isn't something you actually call a prison. You know what's yeah. called the vault in, that's also a prison? It's some place in the Marvel Universe. There's a new character called Showdown, who's this dumb ninja chick who's got like a faceplate. And it's weird that she's wearing a super tight costume. Again, no feet, no face, huge <laughs> With boobs. giant Wolverine ear thingies. Yeah, very shadow hockey. Yeah, actually. She's just, she's lame. There's nothing to do there. She's going to break the four out. Shaft and Bedrock here about this and so they're joined by chapel as they storm the pentagon to stop the jailbreak they're not in time shaft whose whole job is to be the guy who shoots arrows with pinpoint accuracy showdown is catching his arrows in air and he's like well it takes me a minute to warm up and i'm gonna get you soon besides showdown there's also this swarm of disposable ninjas in white it's like where the fuck did ninjas come from what does ninjas have to do with anything well the great thing about ninjas though is like the hand in daredevil you can kick the shit out of as many ninjas as you want to without having to keep up with them and they do it in the most violent fashion possible like chapel actually invents gun kata like in equilibrium punching people with his guns punch him in the gut and then shoot him at the same time boom 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 shaft manages to liberate a sword from one of the ninjas and then carve him up with it holy shit i didn't notice that shaft actually puts a knife through somebody pretty bloody and it was bloody in the original comics too. really they yeah show that too in the original. yeah yeah and there's this one shot of him holding the sword and it's badly constructed it doesn't look like he and the sword are occupying the same space but i remember it being a ad used in like remember when you had all those mail order outfits mm-hmm. that were advertising in the comics i remember at least one of those used that image heavily in their advertisements and again they're trying to show you how badass Shaft is how much integrity he has how he's supposed to be the coolest character it's so much Rob Liefeld trying to make fetch happen so much time introducing so many characters in the first issue of Youngblood that it seems like by this third issue he's trying to tell people oh no no no, there's individual characters and I'm gonna give you a chance to get to know these individual characters here's Shaft he's the cool one he's the one you're supposed to like and he's trying to sell him just so hard and it's kind of sad because Shaft you don't give a shit about Shaft I don't give a shit about Shaft nobody does poor man's Hawkeye I do have to say when I'm looking at the pages from this issue I can tell that Carl Allstetter helped with the artwork on this one you can see like this shot of Chapel here that does not look like a Rob Liefeld drawing at all that is like 100% Carl Allstetter there and I think that this guy did either pages or at least panels throughout this issue because you can see where it does not look like I felt like this also really does not look like I felt I think he might have done the layouts but if the finished art does not look like his style at all it looks like Allstetter weird little triangles so we also have a moment where Bedrock is punching ninjas and shouts Yabba Dabba Doom. And then he actually wonders to himself, could I get sued for that? I wonder. And you recall that Hanna-Barbera actually did go after Rob Liefeld yeah. and successfully caused him to cease and desist using the name Bedrock. So I'm wondering, did this happen before that? Is this him like doing a smart-ass commentary on that? Is one of those situations, kind of like Todd McFarlane, where he thinks he's untouchable, so he does it not only in this issue, but he does the Yabba Dabba Doom thing in the next issue as well? And I'm wondering if he was like trying to be all cocky and cool and talking shit against Hanna-Barbera and then ultimately loses to them, like McFarlane did again 
against it in his lawsuits, yeah. or if actually doing the Yabba Dabba Doom thing precipitated the lawsuit in the probably first place. Probably because he probably could have got away with Bedrock. You you would think, yeah, because yeah, Bedrock is a thing that exists, yeah, yeah. you know? But, but when minute, he's Yabba Dabba Doom, is you're really gone. asking for trouble. You're stolen yeah. somebody's catchphrase. No, he added an M. Not Yabba Dabba Doom. Well, okay, well, let's be honest. Hey, look, look, look. Dun, 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 Not Dun 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 dun. Well, no, dun. let's be honest. Yeah, but Dabba Doo is to the moon, Alice. So it's just the evolution of it. Okay, so then, like, Shodan releases the group. I don't know. They had a group, a character named Body Slide. No, Body Slide was the name the of, when they. No, no, Body Slide is the teleportation device yeah, they use. They Body Slide to teleport from place to place. Yeah. Cable used to Body Slide as well. So yeah. I think that that was an instance where Lightfield stole from a Marvel concept that he himself originated. So he like stole that back from Marvel by using that as his means of teleportation. Because I don't think they talked about Body Sliding in the Marvel comics very often. But I remember in those early issues with Cable, he used that then too. And I think he kind of like ganked it back from Marvel via Youngblood. The reason why the term body slide comes up is because Showdown and the four teleport away to parts unknown, mm-hmm. except for one of the members who Shaft tells Chapel, okay, hold your fire, hold your fire, fire. And then Chapel shoots the guy and knocks him out of the realm of where the teleportation is happening. So that's how they managed to catch him. It's like, but you're the arrow guy. Why didn't you shoot an arrow at the guy yeah. instead of telling Chapel when to shoot his gun? Or have Chapel just keep shooting his gun and hope that you get one of them before they teleport away. It just doesn't make any sense. Whatever that dude's name is, he looked better in the original comics. In the original comics, he had red skin with black highlights and he looked really like cool and satanic and stuff. When they make him flesh tone... Oh, I think... I kind of remember that image. Yeah, he, he looked way cooler in the original comics. So that's one issue that they had. But after these guys teleport away, then Die Hard shows up for a two-page spread where he's just there to tell Shaft, hey, we've got to go to East Germany because the Youngblood Away team haven't been in contact for hours. Oh, I forgot too. There's also a subplot in this issue where the Catellan, who are the Cund, Admiral Kirk. Yes. Uh, he's discussing the possible traitor Lieutenant Combat because he's not actually named Combat. His name is KHM Apostrophe BT. And he's doing this with an accusatory Akuran ambassador. And the Akurans were the guys who look kind of like Silver Surfer characters. Yeah, the ones with the family heads. The Akuran cadet that disappeared with Lieutenant Combat is Photon from Youngblood. So they're setting up that these two alien races think that these guys have betrayed each of their races and they're going to go after them on Earth, but it doesn't get touched on the original Youngblood issues. Youngblood number three has two splash pages, one half splash, and three double page spreads, including two that are one single image entirely. But I still think number three was the best issue because for once they actually slowed down, they talked, you got a sense of where Youngblood existed within the greater image universe. They tried to develop some characters. So even though it wasn't a great issue, I give them an E for effort. At least it felt like an actual comic book instead of just an advertisement for comic book to come. And see, they have an ad at the end of the issue too where they announce in 60 days, the next issue of Youngblood and it turns out that issue was Youngblood number zero by a filling creative team that takes place before the current story arc so it was kind of a cheat but we weren't going to get into that because that's just going to derail our story which has already been derailed within the context of the story itself So Prophet and them are fighting the parademons, and the parademons have put a beat down on the team young blood. Yeah, see, and this is one of the funny things, is if you read the panel here, it says, and yet still they fell. The one referred to as Brahma pummeled into submission by the disciples' metallic hammer blows. Much blood was spilt. For Prophet, this had been an awakening in more ways than one. So there's two panels on this page. One of the panels shows the Kirby character. The next panel shows Cross. Based on Joe Casey's revised script, 
These guys were caught in a crash tunnel and no longer appear in the story. They're not around. So it's clearly Kirby and Cross here, yeah. but Casey tries to pretend like Kirby is Brahma knocked out and he didn't even bother explaining uh. away Cross. So instead of redrawing those panels or omitting those panels, they left him alone and tried to cover it up with the dialogue, but it doesn't work. Because it's obvious those are the characters from earlier in the issue. You caught it too. And then that, of course, is end of issue three, chapter three. So they go from issue number zero to another two months later before they finally get to issue number four. Issue number three came out a month before the 92 presidential election. Mm-hmm. By the time issue four came out, it was after the inauguration. <laughs> and the story is supposed to take place a few hours after the previous issue. So the Youngblood home team are going to East Germany. They're going to a facility of GATE International. GATE stands for Genetic and Technology Engineering. If you don't catch it, and you should, GATE International is Star Labs. I didn't get that. They're a super scientific organization. One thing that was cool is as they're flying in, they're asking Shaft if Stormwatch has been notified because they figure that the UN would be able to help them out in this concern since they've lost one of their whole teams. And Shaft's like, no, 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 no. We're not going to let them know that the U.S. couldn't handle this issue. We got this. We're young blood. We're okay. Bedrock even calls Stormwatch a bunch of sissies. There's a little note saying, watch for Stormwatch coming soon. They establish that there is this whole other team out there. They've established an acrimonious relationship with them. They kind of explain away the absence of Stormwatch, even though the team doesn't really exist yet in comics. But it was also cool because Stormwatch has teleportation. They set that up. But the Youngblood team doesn't, so they're having to actually physically fly a Quinjet in all but name to East Germany. So I like that they're showing the differences between the team. They're not all the same. They don't all have the exact same shit. And one other thing about this issue, too, lots of feet. Liefeld gets so much shit for always hiding the feet, but throughout issue four of Youngblood, you're going to see a lot. Um, so we're introduced to Vogue and that... Or reintroduced to... Or reintroduced, yeah. She's been, yeah. She kind of disappears from this no, book, though, right? No, I was going to say, yeah. Again, that's where I told you it felt really disjointed because characters seem to, like, appear, disappear, very Tyler Durden Fight Club, like, in the background, vanishing type thing. So it, was, it felt really weird. That's why, at some points, I stopped because I was like, did I miss something? That Did something maybe not download right? And, and But that's true of the original comics, too. These are still using the original pages. We have not seen, to my recollection, any new pages yet. Mm-hmm. It's just that some of these characters just full-on fucking disappeared. Well, so Photon, I don't ever remember Photon even being introduced at all. Uh, he was on the cover of Team Youngblood, number one. I don't remember if he actually appeared in the story. He didn't do anything if he was in there. Bad Rock and Shaft are arguing about toy lines and shit like that, if I remember correctly. They're about to attack, and I remember they're like, let's send out the big guys first, so Die Hard is going to go first with Bad Rock following behind them. It's kind of a Die Hard spotlight issue. I don't get Die Hard's deal. Can you explain Die Hard to me? Not really. Kind of looks like all-white Deadpool, but with more cybernetic parts to him. And so he flies around, and he has super strength. He has a uh, shield, doesn't he? Yeah, that's just it. In this issue, they introduce, he reaches behind his back, and he pulls out a shield. So he's got a plain silver Captain America-style shield that he can throw and it ricochets and comes back to him and shit. I know Die Hard's a ripoff, but I can't tell you exactly who he's a ripoff of. Points for that. At least they were able to obscure exactly what he's a ripoff of. But the fact that he was part of Project Born Again makes him look like he's really, really a lot like Captain America. Not Operation Rebirth, Project Born Again. Completely different. See, they're McDonald's. I'm McDonald's. They got the golden arches. Mine is the golden arcs. Because it was around that time that John Byrne decided to make the Vision actually have been adapted from the form of the original Human Torch. And they're both robots that were like built on the same basic framework and shit. So I think he was trying to riff off of that. But because he's flying around, you see a lot of feet. You see Bedrock's feet. You see Shaft's feet. Liefeld was really putting in the feet action this one. They weren't all good feet, but they were feet. And see, this issue actually bothers to finally explain who Prophet is. The fact that he comes from future technology that isn't supposed to be in our time period. And that he's fighting the forces of Dark Thorn 
born who travel via teleportational crash tunnels and they're trying to conquer the universe and that's when i finally start to realize as i'm reading the comic holy shit this is the fourth world we've got liefeld's wannabe avengers fighting dark side the disciples of doom they're basically parademons i didn't catch this when i was a kid in part because i didn't read far enough into the miniseries i'd never know that there were new gods in the image universe before like godland and shit chapel and a shaft finally show up after much of the battles already occurred well they couldn't just jump out of the plane like the other two guys did i thought they're just dudes no true just dudes they find sentinel there's vogue i used to get vogue mixed up with another character that he drew but i can't remember her name either they, no. domino oh yeah black yeah. black widow no but there was another image comic female character that he drew like that evangeline dude i remember at one time there were so many young blood books i used to get them mixed up all the time i didn't know what i was reading sometimes so the rest of the young blood home team are searching for their way team vogue manages to find sentinel who's lost his right eye and it bothers me quite a bit because all these people that were in this fight the only person who took permanent damage was the black dude who's the leader of the team that got beaten in their third appearance not the most progressive way to go about things they come to find out that the main baddies there there's a teleport a boom tube that's there still so i guess that's the one they were supposed to disappear kirby the, uh, yeah uh, yes and uh, again this is the crash tunnel which you'll continue to call a boom tube so that everybody understands what the fuck you're talking about yeah it's a boom tube die hard and bedrock go through one of these crash tunnels to the planet decay and it's just like oh they're on apocalypse just spelled d apostrophe k h a y but you know what they're doing and they get to the side and who do we have dark side and decide well dark side light or dark side wolverine because i that's very wolverine right there with that he's got he's got the big fin things he's red skinned he's dark side yeah dark thorn and he commences to beat some ass because they've done a good job of building up how powerful Die Hard is and then he just gets took with one blow by Darkthorn to establish his power and there's just this trail of blood which is something that's very popular in the Youngblood books they're very bloody books so apparently even the robot dude bleeds even though we don't actually see where the blood is coming from you assume it's coming from his face but you can't tell mm-hmm. from what exactly because he's got no features you remember well I thought he was all robotic I still don't know I, I don't know if he's a I cyborg just, I, or, or an android was, or what a, the fuck he is there's a, I remember there's a really cool image I've ever seen where it's his torso and he's connected to all these wires and some of his mask is missing and you can see a face like a human face okay dark side starts to beat that ass is that dark side still or is that okay no see this is another problem this guy randomly shows up right yeah that's gray from the berserkers okay Okay. the berserkers is the team that's still in casey's version of the story supposed to be trapped in a crash tunnel and yet here's this dude standing around with shaft completely unexplained yeah so it makes yeah it makes fuck all sense for him to be there so that's a and that's not lifehold's fault that's casey's fault that was casey well, let's let's be honest. You could have you could have fucking windows painted him out of there. Well, yeah, if you needed I, to. I, I don't think Layfield would have let him do that though. Yeah, like, see, the art is completely unmolested. They they none of the artwork is altered. In they the, in they should have at least allowed him to kind of you know take out some panels or I don't know redraw some shit or something. Right. Um, and of course, Badrock now has turned villainous. Darkthorn shows the ability to possess the mind of Badrock. Mind of a and, child. And, and turned it. Well, I, I think he's supposed to be sixteen or seventeen. Is what they finally establish him as being. By the way, this is an important break point this is a two-page spread this is where issue number four of youngblood ends okay and then youngblood number five begins except that you're not reading youngblood number five you're reading youngblood 4.5 this is the new pages created for the hardcover oh so they created these pages yes so that it's not all original artwork everything up to this point has been the original comic book series that's artwork this page and now on this page is bad rock attacks that's new material from the hardcover let's see if we can tell a difference in art style you'll tell it fairly shortly um... 
Well, number one, he's missing those things. So he has this weird strap here in the middle, and he doesn't have it on his pads here. You're getting too much in the weeds, though. That's the picky stuff. As you look, you'll notice that the new pages have far less detail, and his style has changed quite a bit, where it's, it's well, like yeah, how he draws yeah. faces a lot different. He doesn't do the same kind of rendering. No, dude, the face... No, you're right. The faces are completely different. Holy shit. And they're more realistically proportioned, but they're not as flashy or as... To my mind, they're not, it's not as cool looking. And there's just a lot less detail. He's not, shit, he's not doing like all Rob the cool Liefeld. cross Dude, Sci-Fi does look like Liefeld was looking in the mirror, yeah. Yeah. The art is definitely more mature. I mean, look at that Bad Rock. I, I think it is more mature, but I don't find it as exciting. I don't find it as energetic, as enthusiastic, as much fun in that goofy way that Liefeld has. And dude, the backgrounds are so fucking minimal. They're, even versus the backgrounds from the original Youngblood comics, they're minimal. I mean, look at that. There, there is no, a blank fucking page. Yeah, pretty much the entirety of the background is being filled in by the colorist. There's yes. no actual drawings there. There's not. Look at that. Oh my God, dude. That's So how does this story end, though? We're, we're, what, what happens okay, in this So I'm sorry. I was sucked in by this artwork. So Bad Rock is beating the shit out of his buds. And Sci-Fire. Le- Layfield wakes up. And he decides, holy shit, I can do this. He decides he's going to get in the mind of Bad Rock. He's trying to get Bad Rock to remember. And he's like, come on, dude. I need toys. I need some notoriety. Come on, wake up. And Prophet pops in, which I guess Prophet was created to stop Darkseid. Right. It was, that was his, like, you know. He is the Drax thing. to Darkthorn's Thanos. Ooh, nice, nice, nice. He smacks the shit out of Darkseid. Darkseid, I'm, I'm assuming, was stunned because he didn't think he could be harmed. Prophet's yelling some weird fucking shit, like, you know, for Dr. Wells, for humanity. And then. Dark side is insolent mortal. Your pathetic genetic enhancements are no match for my power. And he does what? What is the uh, the bean that Dark Side shoots at? Omega time? effect. Omega effect. He omega he omega affects them. I, I think it's just like green heat vision though. It's not. Dude, I, it's no, not involved I, I, enough. I, I swear to God, dude, if there was some distance, his shit would have curled or fucking turned in an angle or some shit. Just it's, like, it's just an energy blast out of the eyes, though. Dude, it's dark. Side. It's not distinctive enough. It's just generic energy blast out of the eyes. So. At this point, right, Layfield and uh, Bad Rocker. You got Sci-Fire. It's going to get confusing if we keep calling the guy who really looks like Rob Liefeld by that actual name. He's Sci-Fire. Dude, he looks like him. He does look like it. I won't. I um, do not dispute this. So they, the battle just kind of comes to a halt. Well, it's, it looks like Sci-Fire manages to finally free Bad Rock from Darkthorn's influence, and then Die Hard comes back out of the portal and starts attacking Darkthorn. That is really weird. Like the way the chest is to the head. That's kind of weird. I mean, it's not bad. Liefeld's anatomy proportions are different in 2003 than they were in 92 and it's hard to miss it well i mean he definitely bulked up on the muscles like he definitely got really well they, 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 they are more accurate i would say too i'm not i'm not a big fan of the big purple onesie that yeah, they do look rocking. like pajamas yeah especially because he forgot that the guy had thigh high boots and so he oh, doesn't get in there yes oh was. yeah i didn't realize yeah. it yeah die hard and profit go to work on dark side beating him to the point where he says you know i felt that no species has ever offered such stubborn resistance and then it, he just takes off but actually, Bedrock doesn't wake up until he leaves, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I see now that Sci-Fire is devoted to freeing Bedrock still. Yeah, I guess he was just trying to keep him from moving. And then the book kind of ends... Well, it looks like once Darkthorn goes, then the, his influence over Bedrock. Bedrock is lifted, yeah. And then we just kind of have a quick wrap-up. Who the hell is that? Is that still... That's still Prophet. Oh, wow, he looks so fucking different in that one. Because he kind of looked like he got boobs. I thought it was a feminine character. Boobs. Yeah, but no, I thought it was a female character. Like, I was about to say... No, he definitely has boobs. Man yeah. boobs, yes. I was about to ask you was there a character that i actually he kind of has front butt is what that is no so layfield redrew all this just for the book 
book. To finish out the story. It looks like, I think it's roughly eight new pages based on my trying to count as you were scrolling. Yeah. And uh, that's it, folks. Yeah. Just saved you an $80 trade. You're welcome. No, it's, it's not $80. It's $40 new. I think you can pick it up. The cheapest I could find it online was 20 to 25 bucks. So let me tell you what actually happened in Youngblood number five. For starters, you get to the last page and it reveals the story concludes in Brigade number four. And I'm like, what the fuck? Because I thought for sure the, the story was going to end with issue number four. I thought yeah. I was like coming up, to wrapping this thing up. And I was like, wait, I got to read a whole other book to finish this up. But it turns out it's a bit of a trick. What it was is Youngblood number five and Brigade number four were a flip book. Mm-hmm. So if you bought one, you got them both, right? Except that this was Brigade number four from the ongoing series. So by the time Youngblood number five comes out, there's been an entire four issue Brigade miniseries, I think a zero issue. And now they've gone up to four issues into the ongoing series. That's how late Youngblood is at this point. Youngblood number five comes out five months later. It had a different scripter, Eric Stevenson. It was drawn by Chap Yape. I, I guess that's how you pronounce the guy's name. Don't know who that is. That's the guy. Did you, did you read Heroes Reborn Avengers? Yes. That's the guy who drew that. Okay, so it wasn't Layfield. I, I just thought Layfield had drawn them all. Him and Jim Lee. No, Layfield only drew Captain America. And he oh. did the covers, some of the covers for Avengers. Most of the covers, I think, were Ian Churchill. Jim Lee did Fantastic Four. Right. Will Sportacio did Iron Man. Iron Man. Rob did Captain America. And Chap Yape did Avengers. Avengers. Oh. Although I think he only did the first arc of Avengers. I think the second arc was Iron Churchill. So Chap Yape was also the guy who drew Team Youngblood when that got its own spinoff book. Okay. His style looks, if you want to talk about something that's an interesting combination, he looks like a cross between Liefeld and Jay Lee. So it, it was really kind of obvious that this was not the same artist. If you fed everything that people liked about Chromium Age artwork into a computer, Chap Yape would fit all those parameters. You know, the computer would be like, this thing is equal to that thing. But Liefeld's art is so much more fun and so much more energetic and lively. And again, that enthusiasm comes through on the page. And then you look at Chap Yape, who's doing a bunch of the same techniques as Liefeld. In fact, in some ways, he's a better technical artist than Liefeld while still doing a lot of the same tricks that were popular that time period. And it just doesn't work because he can't get over the personality. He can't get that pizzazz Mm -hmm. that Liefeld has. The story they tell, it's mostly done in one-page splashes. It's a full 22-page story as opposed to this eight-page add-on. Once again, it's nothing but splash pages. It's only a 14-page story, but five of the pages are splash pages. And at least one would count as a half-splash. In the story, Shaft directs the Berserkers by name, even though he's not even met them. And he's like, well, these people have earned my trust in the five minutes you've known them. And what was weird, too, is the home team, it takes them 12 hours to get to the away team after they've been out of contact for that length of time. These guys have all been beaten. One hopes that they were holding the line right up until the home team shows up. But, like, why did Darkthorn and his horses just sort of, like, hang out at Gate Industries and not do anything waiting for the home team to show up? And when the home team shows up, they're not immediately addressed by Darkthorn's forces. They get to wander around a little bit and have a little conversation with Prophet, and then they start fighting the Disciples of Doom. Not really well-paced story. The legions that these guys are fighting are actually referred to as winged demons, just to make it clear that they're parademons. Mm-hmm. So in case you missed that, if the Disciples were the original Kirby parademons, then these other guys were like the parademons from Superpowers, where they look more demonic. And what it comes down to, they wrap up the story, is you have the guy Sci-Fire, the telepathic, telekinetic guy who killed Kassan Hussein, which got him in hot water with Sentinel. And he's had an inhibitor collar on this entire time to prevent him from using his powers. And so Riptide and Vogue are convinced to take off his leash, even though they don't like it because it's his side dampener. It prevents him from doing much worse stuff than he normally does. And obviously, even though it gives him a major headache and it's a strain on his power, he still has enough strength to blow somebody's brains out if he concentrates hard enough for long enough. With the side dampener off, he's even more powerful. He goes and confronts Darkthorn, who's come through the crash tunnel and just started beating the fuck out of everybody, 
beats Prophet. He smacks aside Sentinel when he tries to step up. Basically, he's beating everybody in Youngblood. And so Sapphire shows up, starts trying to put a mental whammy on Darkthorn. Darkthorn's like, I would love to have the time to continue to warp your already twisted and dark soul, but I gotta go now. And he just leaves. After beating almost the entire Youngblood team, Sapphire gets loose and he's like, see ya. So I guess Sapphire is the greatest threat in the entire Youngblood universe and fuck Darkseid? Or it was just a convenient way to suddenly wrap this story out of nowhere. Wow. So it's still anticlimactic, but it's a much larger scale and it involves all these characters. You've got three teams of people fighting against the Parademons and Darkthorn and Possessed Bedrock. So it still feels like a larger scale thing. It definitely feels more like the entire story came together in five in a way that these additional pages don't. No. So the Berserkers are going to go into the crash tunnel and funnel Darkthorn back to decay. But Kirby recognizes Prophet from somewhere and Prophet in a previous issue had kind of recognized Kirby. So Kirby's like, hey, I know this is a short notice, but I quit. I'm going to go hang out with Prophet now. And so it's like, wait, you guys go off and do your own series, which is exactly what ends up happening. Chapter Yape continues to keep switching crosses, eye tattoo, scar thing back and forth from eye to eye. But see, Die Hard is still on decay because he didn't get turned evil like Bedrock was. So out of nowhere, they just spit Die Hard out of the crash tunnel. And he's like, yeah, the Berserkers got me back to Earth before the crash tunnel crashed, I guess. And so the issue ends with Prophet noting, and th this is the second time this had come up, that he has to reestablish his link to the DOCC, the Direct Orbiting Communications Command. And it was at the second notice, because the first time it comes up in issue number two or three, I think it was, I didn't know if it was Youngblood that wasn't connected to Doc anymore. So when they finally made it clear, no, it's Prophet that's connected, I finally realized, oh wait, Prophet is OMAC. So not only is Liefeld borrowing from Kirby's fourth world, but he's also borrowing from other 70s strips. And I would have liked Prophet so much better if I knew that he was just OMAC at Image Comics. I already like him better. I'm already more interested in seeing what they're going to do with him mm -hmm. just by virtue of that. And once again, I can totally see how it happens because it's not necessarily that Liefeld read Kirby. I think what happened is John Byrne did a prestige format OMAC miniseries revival a year or two before Image got started. And I guarantee you Liefeld read that and was like, hey, I'm going to take that character too. But I'm actually kind of cool with that. It's like, I, I like the idea of this one Kirby concept that had nothing to do with this other Kirby concept fighting as analogs. I just wish I'd known all this time that that's what Liefeld was doing, but I didn't read enough comic books. So even if I had kept up with Youngblood, I wouldn't have caught those references. I only barely caught them now. And all that shit just got wiped clean by the KC version. Wow. So that's, I, I think you could have left that in there. Like, no, I, I actually think it's probably good that they right. took it out, mainly because Liefeld was throwing so much shit at you in the original version. It was hard to keep track of anything. And it was hard to keep track of the characters that are actually relevant to the story without all this side shit. Mm -hmm. So I, I think Casey was probably right to just go ahead and wipe that shit clean to keep it more streamlined, to keep it more focused. There was just too much shit going on in the original versions. Most of the issues of Youngblood, I read on my phone. It was just convenient, more convenient to put it on my phone and read it that way. And what I really loved, it translated extremely well to the phone because there's so many big images and it's got flashy coloring and it's got his very slick art style. It looks so good reproducing that small size. It was exciting to read. I had no problem going from page to page with it. When he says that he approaches everything with great enthusiasm, it's absolutely true. I was enthusiastic to read it, especially once the script was to a caliber to where I could enjoy the writing to a reasonable degree. Because it was still dated style intentionally. Uh, it was a pastiche, I think, on Casey's part. But I was very excited to read it. I thought that the, I, as much as I liked the coloring on the original book. Who did the coloring on that one? Brian Murray, right? I'm going to hate it if he's right. <laughs> 
So I thought Brian Murray did an excellent job. When Youngblood came out, I was very impressed with the colors. And I love that it had a different color palette. As I've mentioned in the past, I liked how sunny it was, how cali it was. It did not look like the Marvel books that were so much more gray. I loved how colorful Youngblood was. But I have to say the digital coloring is even better. There's some instances, like if you compare the both versions of the book, there's some stuff that Murray does better and some stuff the new colorist does better. But I was still very impressed overall with the coloring. And it looks really good, especially in this small format. Okay, so it says color design Brian Murray color separations digital chameleon that's one of the things that bugged me is there's some interesting stuff that Murray did with background coloring shafts of color in different places that gave you interesting lighting effects and such and that got lost when they did the digital coloring in the, the revised edition but it's still so vibrant and it works really well for Liefeld's art style that I think both of them are valid and both of them look good so let me ask you this real quick why did they do this was it just a money grab or that did Joe Casey actually come and say hey man I got a great idea I think the reason why they did it is because Rob Liefeld does not have a legacy to a large degree. I think that's why he promotes Deadpool especially so much yeah. is because Todd McFarlane built this enormous company off of Spawn. Jim Lee is now one of the publishers of DC Comics. Mark Silvestri still has his empire with Top Cow and properties that are related to Top Cow have been developed in, in just, yeah, uh, TV and shit like that. And, yeah. and Liefeld never had the cartoon. He never had the toy line. His properties really aren't highly recognized. He spent most of the last 20 years being ridiculed for his art style. The book that he has that he owns that he has complete control over, Youngblood, was a book that was mocked pretty roundly for years and years and years. And so I think that he created that hardcover because I think it was going to be for the 10th anniversary of Youngblood initially and I don't think they quite made their date. Yeah. But I think he wanted to try to take those books, books that he probably labored on more than any other comic books he ever produced where he had better art with a greater attention to detail and great better coloring and everything else. I think he wanted to go over that and redo it and try to manifest the conception he had of what Youngblood should be and never quite got to be when he was originally published. And I think he was hoping that Joe Casey would be able to help him so do that. So basically rekindle it. Alan Moore was going to write Youngbloods, and I bought that damn issue, and it had like fucking 15 different covers. It's one issue of Youngblood, and then they never finished the series. They mm-hmm. never did it. And then he did one with Mark Millar, and it was supposed to be a two-parter, Bloodsport, I think. And I bought the first one, and I was super excited because it was really good, and I don't think the second one ever came out. It almost felt like every time he would get these recognizable name writers to come and do something, they all petered out. So. He, he always had a problem with follow-through, and that's that's obviously a major issue. But yeah, I, I think that he wanted to validate the work that he did back then. I think he wanted to have an opportunity to represent the material so that it would be what he had hoped it would be and they would hopefully be recognized and appreciated for what he had intended for it to be. But he had released it in a hardcover that was not widely circulated, that was expensive. You can now pick up all four of the revised versions of Youngblood 1 through 5-ish as digital comics for 8 bucks off Comixology. Yeah. And that's the way I recommend picking them up. When I was reading this, I really wanted to ask you that question because I remember I was sitting there I'm like what is the point because it's a great idea I would love to see like current writers go back and like rewrite Spawn the first five issues or rewrite Savage Dragon the first five issues I would love to see where they would take it at now now that you have this long you you have a nice history of the comic come out and almost like hell fuck it call it a what if what if Scott Snyder rewrote Spawn because he fucking writes Batman anyway and Spawn is kind of a Batman ripoff that'd be kind of neat part of the lingering taint on Image Comics was that they regardless of their intentions it was hard for them not to be looked upon as hostile toward writers. They tried to make it seem like comics were all about the art. All anybody cared about was the artwork. Yeah. Nobody cared about writers. You, you, anybody could tell stories of people socking face. And so they minimized writers. And they came out with a bunch of books that were really poorly written. And so the comic book writers, they were probably feeling very defensive because they definitely were not the draw in comics in 1992. They needed the companies to help support them because a writer, for the most part, cannot go out and write a hot comic book if they wanted to. Were very critical of Image Comics. People who read the comics and they weren't very well written 
were very vocally chastising these guys mm. for their hubris, for thinking that they were such hot shit as artists that they could get by without having good writing. I think that's where the, they're still lingering hostility. I still will get people talking shit about Image on Twitter, and I'm like, dude, when was the last time you read an Image comic? 20 fucking years ago. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Why don't you read an Image comic today? Why don't you get out of the assholes of Marvel and DC and actually read something that you may actually enjoy? Because you're talking about shit that isn't even relevant to the discussion anymore. Because those comics came out years ago. Things changed. Unlike at the big companies, things progressed and got better at Image Comics. But yeah, back in the day, these were not very well-written comics, and I do think that Joe Casey put a lot of polish on these books. Mm. I like the writing style that he gave it. He gave it a very late Bronze Age vibe. I thought there was a lot of Chris Claremont X-Men feeling in there. I think there's a lot of more of Wolfman Titans era material there. Little Jerry Conway in there. Little so Roger Stern. Very much so. I think that, that was a, a conscious effort on Joe Casey's part to try to invoke the period in which Rob Liefeld would have written reading comics okay. and the comics that inspired Liefeld to create Youngblood in the first place. I think that Casey was enjoying what he was doing with it in the early parts of the story. I think that things get problematic as the story progresses, yes. though. From the beginning, you could see like everybody was really enthusiastic. Uh, Casey really seemed like he knew what he was doing in the first issue. And then by the time he got to the fourth issue and the new pages, it felt like they lost the script. They couldn't figure out how to wrap it up correctly. And then it's such a fucking wet fart of an ending there that it turned me off in a big way. I was really, I was enjoying it so much I was going to get Mac to read it too because I was so enthusiastic about the concept because the concept is basically the Avengers team up with OMAC to fight the fourth world. That's a cool concept. I want to see that happen. I've never seen that happen in a comic book before I, I, and I got really into it because I love OMAC. One of my favorite Kirby concept that does not get the respect that it deserves. I and probably, huh? Okay. OMAC One Man Army Corps. Okay. And that would have been so fucking awesome. I wanted to see that shit and I didn't get that in either version but I especially didn't get it in the new version. And the new version is just so boring. I think that those eight additional pages do not really help the story at all but I think that Liefeld again this was his legacy book and I think he wanted to be the one who drew that final part of the story I just think that they either needed 22 pages or they should have like they did the original comic and give you eight big splash pages let Casey tell you the story in text the oh, way that been nice because that's basically what Eric Stevenson does he takes all these splash pages and he fills in a bunch of the details with the script neither one of the endings are great but the original ending was actually better okay overall what did you think of the story again I felt it was real disjointed I got the first part of it and then after a while I kept feeling every time I'd stop a chapter I felt like something was missing or like you said I would notice characters that popped and I was like that's what I'm telling you I would there was times I felt like I'm missing pages or something didn't download right it became a chore to keep up with what they were doing that's why when you told me the concept I thought that was cool but in my mind I thought they went back and touched up the artwork or removed things so it would make sense not just like well um, we're gonna call this guy Braun even though it's Kirby and just go with that and you're like so you read it but you're looking and it just doesn't make sense and the problem that they had in the original comics too they were just way too fucking many characters yeah it did feel crowded well, did any of the characters jump out for you no did you like anybody no did you think we spent enough time with any of the characters to really give them a fair shot no I think Chapel got the most I mean not even uh, Shaft got the most I guess development but it wasn't really development like I, I didn't get his motivations really mm-hmm. like he just seemed kind of bitchy and whiny about his position and where he's at it was and, his, and his responsibilities I don't remember if it was the same the, the remixed version but Shaft is a real asshole in the original comics he's just a real jerk to everybody but I kind of like that about him and, well, and I understand that he was supposed to be based off of Layfield like Layfield based no he, I think he's supposed to be Speedy or Arsenal the right. Roy Harper character okay. but what gets me Shaft is a character I'm the most dismissive of in Youngblood because I think that by 1992 you don't need an archer on your team archer is just too freaking passe I think he was too obviously the same character as Roy Harper in terms of his look and everything I think that Shaft is a bad name because it's like John Shaft yeah. is the guy who shut Shaft. your mouth uh, you don't take away one of the most iconic African-American characters in popular culture and have it be a white dude 
dude. You know, it's just that's a real problem for me. The issue, though, when you read these Youngblood comics and it continues in the later issues, too, he's clearly Liefeld's favorite character, it seems like. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the guy he just puts a lot of emphasis on how cool Shaft is. And Shaft continues to pop up. If the one constant in Youngblood reboots is Shaft is the team leader and he always seems to turn up. The one guy he doesn't want to let go of. And I think it's one of those situations where the creator loves his daughter a little too much. I think that's the one character you need to get rid of. I think that's probably the worst of the characters and the most problematic character because he doesn't really make sense in a modern context. The only reason why guys like Green Arrow and Hawkeye exist is because Errol Flynn as uh, Robin Hood was so popular because all that shit from the Middle Ages and the Western, the period adventure stories were so popular in the 1930s and 1940s where we've kind of left a lot of that shit behind. Well, no, I mean, if you think about it, he's the only human on the team. Chapel. Vogue, too. I don't think Vogue has powers. I think she's just an acrobat. Really? I thought she was an acrobat. I just thought they were, you know. Yeah, no, there there are a number of human characters, but I just think that dude with a bow and arrow that doesn't have a string is not enough of a reason for a guy to be around. He didn't even have trick arrows, to my recollection. But what's weird, too, is that he doesn't get spun off like the other ones do. He's, I think he's had a couple of one-off issues. He's not in Youngblood Strike File, the bifurcated anthology book they did. It's weird that he just stays in Youngblood, even though he's on all Youngblood stuff. I wouldn't read this book. I wouldn't recommend it to people. I liked it enough. I enjoyed I, I, I enjoyed. If nothing else, I like it as an experiment. I think it's a I, really interesting experiment. I, I, I know, as an experiment, I think, again, I think, here, Mitch, I'm going to give you a million dollar idea. Get all these new writers and do a what-if version and let them rewrite the first three issues of your books, or your flagship books. So Cyber Force, Wildcats, Spawn, Savage Dragon, hell, Shadowhawk, and just see what they can go with it now. Like, I would love to see, like, Shadowhawk, Scott Snyder do Shadowhawk, and just see, like, what fucked up because dc and marvel are not gonna let them do shit so we're gonna give you a batman clone and you just go to fucking town go to fucking town. give us three good issues that's just something unusual give us something different and i think what they need to do is get these guys that are getting a little heat on them that aren't so expensive yet like a tom king you know he keeps getting all this attention from stuff like vision and omega men and mr miracle get a guy like that who's just coming up and have their introductory image book be a relaunch of, of one of their properties I, I don't think that you need to go and do a remix the way they did with this i would do because, what if you don't have to do a what if though because no, i think I think you you just make it no I mean literally you just go nuts in the main continuity I don't think you need to create a what if I think just let them go nuts with your characters like I said I would like to see like Spawn taken in a different direction completely different direction it's tougher with Spawn because McFarlane is so protective of that I think that I thought Lightfeld had the right idea actually that's why you do a one off this has nothing to do with continuity it's not part of canon it's just this fun little project we want to see how it plays out but I think that's too easy to dismiss the what if I like I thought Lightfeld had the right idea I think when he had all these crazy people doing Glory and Profit and Bloodstrike. Those were some pretty interesting comics. I think that there's a damaged goods quality to that, though, where people were resistant to buying it just because it was a life of book. Bad associations with the properties. But I think that if you got somebody with a little bit more name value, again, like a Tom King or a Tom Taylor, somebody who probably doesn't have enough heat to carry a book, but you give him an, like an interesting new artist and you let them just kind of go nuts with your property, but in continuity, because you can always reverse shit. If they do something that's really wrong, you can always say, no, 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 that was just a one-off. I would love... You, you, could, you could turn it into what if it fails. Because I would love to see... Just let them continue uh, on with There it. was so many strings left on, like, Brigade. My favorite one was this chick slept with some dude and he got some weird disease because he's banging a zombie that he didn't know. And I thought they were going to go somewhere with it where I was like, I remember... Dude, to this day, I'm still like, I want closure to start. I want to see if... Did he mutate into some new beast or monster because, you know, the chick he's banging is being... Every time she's murdered, she's brought back to life. And so she's an affront to God himself. And so there's, you know... 
some kind of super syphilis or something really fucked up. And I thought it would be a cool concept, and none of that ever pan- planned out. It would be kind of fun if they would do images of tomorrow, and they, they'd have a number one on the cover, but the inside in this year would be like issue 15, 16, 17 to work up to the 25 that mm. they promised us 20 years ago. Well, no, they did that and, shit. And, and they go, did that yeah. shit because I remember went, going to your shop, and I remember picking up an issue, and it's, I, I want to say Battalion and Sentinel battling their father, who turned out to be this. Like, oh, you know what? Battalion was the dude from Stormwatch. Yeah. That's where you're coming from. Yeah. Now I remember, yeah, that's who Battalion was. Because him okay. and Sentinel were brothers, I think. No, because Battalion was a Jim Lee character. Well, they were related somehow because they're fighting they father were, figures. They were brothers. No, but they're fighting no, yeah, No, figure. I know what it was. I know what it was. Both the characters were in Stormwatch. They were brothers fighting their father, but it wasn't Sentinel from Youngblood. It was a member of the core Stormwatch team, and then they had like a youth squad, and oh, those okay. two was were it? brothers. Okay, I thought it was Sentinel. And I, I don't remember the two characters' names. One I of them was Battalion, though. I, I remember thinking that was just revolutionary where Image was like, we're on issue 12, but guess what? I'm giving you issue 30, and we're going to get here one day. I'm well, gonna, I'm gonna it was get, 25, but yeah. Was it 25? They were all 25. Okay, so we're going to give you issue 25, and we're going to get here, and you're going to have to read to figure out how we get here. And I remember thinking, holy shit, that's so awesome. And I was super excited about them, and none of them panned out. I, I don't even think they went in that direction. I just totally forgot about those books. and Shit, shit like that, dude. So, yeah, disappointing. So we got social media love from the 20th century geek, the 108 sage, a beardro talks film, Ali Bats, Dr. Ange, Arturo, beer today, beer tomorrow, between the pages, Biko Django, Bones Cafe, C. Isabel Brain, Cash Flag, Charlton Hero, the Cinnabud Podcast, Coffee and Comics, D. Parvez, Derek William Crab, Dirty Bit Podcast, Discover Pods, Dolis, Dumb Reb, Ed Moore at Any Comics Fan, Marvel Bronze Age, Miskatonic, Teal Productions, Ela, Inigo Montoya, In La Buqueta, Fan Holes Podcast, Podcast, Goldmine LLC, Good Times Great Movies, Grateful Dalek, Grimlock Strongest, The Hammer Strikes, Hello Life What the Fuck, The Invisible Manics, Jeffrey Brown, Joe Crawford, Just in Time Podcast, Justice First Dawn, Kaiser Leo, La China, Longbox Crusade, Luna, Michelle Fife, Michael Wagner, Mikey Flash, Nexus of All, Odell Abner Dracula, Pooch and Little Pooch, The Quipster Podcast, Rad Adventures, Randy Caldwell, Real Comic Heroes, Richard Field, Robot Boombox, Ryan Daly, Scavenger Lord, Secret Transmission, Sir Robot 239, Sean Haggerty, Sean Merrick, Sean Phillips, Silver and Gold Podcast, Network, Siskoid, Set of Cthulhu, Stacy HD, Talk Nerdy to Me, Terrence Castanguay, Toy Lab, Trekker Talk Podcast, Vinicius Carrero, and Yoart. The Hammer Strikes writes, I think I get at least a thousand times more enjoyment from listening to you guys talk about these issues than when I read the few that I did. I would agree. When you uh, frank it, I told you, we have the uh, Mr. Peabody Sherman relationship where I'll sit here and go, gee, Mr. Peabody. Body? Tell me about image. And you begin to frank. You slowly unzip it and just whip out that frankness and just go frank all over it. Well, and you, good sirs, my co-host, fix it by coming at it from new directions. And while we may not enjoy a specific issue of an image comic or even particularly enjoy a new uh, series, we believe in the philosophy of image comics. We believe in creator-owned books. Yeah. And it's easier to have enthusiasm for work that's owned by the creators that can go in any direction, that have had severe ups and downs, that weren't predicated on a corporate and their profits, exploiting creators, exploiting talent, exploiting people from the ground up, really. So we're definitely more enthusiastic about these comics than we are about whatever random bullshit DC or Marvel are doing these days. So I think that comes Well, well I'm still a Marvel fanboy for life, but... Well, you know, actually, you like a lot of DC stuff, too, though. At least Batman stuff. Uh, Batman, when he's street level. I don't like when he's all beating the shit out of Superman shit. That's just stupid. Yeah. But I have to say that definitely I've noticed, and I have to give Image of Props, that they've given the independent book that big boost where... 
it's no longer like a dark horse or a arctic or these really small press books that no one really picked up or like if someone picked up it was kind of like i mean i still remember when evil ernie came out or the crow where these books were just a cool concept but it wasn't like you saw them everywhere i mean you couldn't well find i mean it just both, anywhere. both the crow and evil ernie became very very valuable books because they were such small print runs they were so yeah. hard to get but image gave you an idea that you could create like i i, I you know there's a lot of books that i read right now that i think owe their parentage to image like they they only can pull off what they're doing because image said it's okay to do this and it's okay to do something completely different because i gotta i agree with you that marvel and dc are very formulated with their books they're not going to take any chances their books aren't going to get crazy and they're not going to do anything unusual or different they're they're, they're still or, in the box or, or they go bad crazy too well, no, like, but let, they, let's they, let's invent a nazi captain america and have him still hanging oh, out don't hate that. i actually i'm enjoying that but yeah, i like it but would. again i no no but i look at it as almost like a what if like i i look at books in the terms of what if books none of these books are ever like the definitive this is captain marvel or captain america or thor or hulk i look at them all as they're just what if books and i'm looking at earth 1714c or some bullshit like that and i can live with that i'm fine with that you're the one that's like no this is a definitive cap no it's not there's so many caps and so many multiverses so i'm like i'm fine with it it doesn't bother me i just go for a good story i enjoy it i move on um dc hasn't done that in a while so i don't even fuck with them but I, you've turned me on to a lot of like just these small press books even Fryhold's turned me on to like a lot of these different small press books where i'm i've become huge fans of like uber and you've I, you got me reading paper girl that's good though huh i like it dude. i'm like i'm like dude I and know. that's image yeah yeah and I, I gotta have to you know I, you know you had uh, no man, idea man of my points now but it was actually a really good book well, that, and you had no idea what you were getting into with paper nope. girls until you started reading it and it went yeah i was like some very well, i've only places. read four issues so far so don't go too deep. Yeah, you haven't even finished first trade yet no i've got i started i was like man this is actually really good like i'm actually invested in stuff i'm like i'm digging it so stuff like that uh, uh so i appreciate i that's why i like talking about image because it's it's remembering who got us there because i don't think if i don't think these books would have ever existed without image no dark horse never had the start the, the the standing power against marvel dc and i'm trying to think of all these little small press companies that really they were niche I, books I, no i i tend to disagree i think that a lot of the big because dark horse is a bigger company and they had but, and, but and, all they, but all they did was like movie books star wars books yeah. alien books predator godzilla that's all they were known for. i never read like something new or a different idea it was always something somebody somebody else's um intellectual property intellectual another property. corporation's enemy. yeah you're you're the independent publisher that publishes somebody else's corporate property plus you yourself are basically similar to those corporations because again i think dark horse gets a piece of especially the media but they, um, but they there was a box that they had to stay inside of yeah, they can't kinda, get outside yeah. the box Mar uh, marvel and dc never get outside the box and every once in a while they peek out the box and people freak out but i mean i've been reading more independent stuff i've i've gone back and started rereading um glory oh yeah dude that's a really good book uh which version though the the warrior princess one the real wonder woman so the, the one that came out with fairly recently where yeah. liefeld allowed a bunch of creators to do like cool extreme indie versions of his characters characters yeah like, extreme characters <laughs> so I've, I've actually i'm going back and reading that stuff and kind of like yeah this is good stuff and here my thing is i think a lot of us who are comic book fans we get in from dc and marvel and to some degree it's like our religion we all come up in the, yeah. the church of superman batman and the like but as you get older and as you the companies it. you you have questions but also the further they get from the Chris 
crystalline image of what you think that character is in your mind, which is really just that generation's version of that character, the more you feel disassociated from your church, the more you become an apostate. And whereas I have a very rigid mindset about who Captain America should be in comics and what kind of stories you should tell with Captain America, uh, I don't have that with Youngblood or Spawn or any of that because A, the creators who own those characters are the ones who are deciding what's going to happen to them. So if they decide they're okay with a certain direction, I need to be because that's their their creation. They're, they I, I can't question the, the mindset of the creator when the creator's still alive and directing their characters where I can definitely question whether Jack Kirby would be comfortable with a Nazi Captain America. P.S. Fuck no, he wouldn't have been. So I can be in a, a comic book apostate of the DC Marvel school where I can enjoy the image books for the stories, the individual stories. And if something doesn't fit my view of a particular character, if I'm not into a book, I just don't worry about it. I, that just doesn't happen for me because I didn't buy it and I didn't read it. Where I always have to be a little bit conscious of what's happening to the characters at DC Marvel because of that strong connection and because all that stuff is by biblical to me. You know, it's it's, it's canon well, see, to me. It's, it's the religion it, to me. I, where with Image, I can, I have the freedom to just enjoy a story on its own terms and to also recognize that whatever they're doing has the blessing of the creator who who owns that character, who runs that character. They want that to happen, so I can kind of let it go. If they go in a, a wildly divergent direction from where I'm comfortable, I just don't go along with it. You know, yeah. or or I just accept it. It's like, look, this is what they want to do. So let me check this out and see if I like it. If I don't like it, I can drop it. I think also we're channeling a lot of the enthusiasm we have for the modern day comics, the modern day independent comics back into the 90s material. Image has taken so much shit over the years for the degree to which they are to blame for a lot of the damage that came to the comic book medium because of the speculator market. Oh yeah, I was about to say. I was Image just definitely that fueled up. that, but for some reason I think they get a Dude, they, they fucking stroked that fire. But you don't time. think, but Marvel didn't? DC didn't? Oh yeah, well they did the multiple they, fucking Yeah, they're, all, they're and... all fucking guilty of that shit, but for some reason Image is the one that always gets the, all, the lion's share of the blame. It's all Image's fault. They created the bubble. You mean all those fucking uh, variant covers and, well, but and think, gimmicks? But and, Image and, kept coming up with like issue number one of this book and issue number one of this book and issue number one. So everybody well, was trying I, to get I, on the number one but I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem was where was issue two, where was issue three? But uh, that's not the point. The point is, while, as much blame as Image gets for the landscape of the 90s, you have to give them credit for the landscape of today because the books that are great today are great in part because of the opportunities that Image provides yeah. and because of the enthusiasm they provide. When I try to write, read an Easter Marvel book, especially knowing they have to go through the bureaucracy or the corporate structure, and, and that structure is even more supervised by the corporations that own them, Disney, uh, Warner Brothers, everything's got to go in line with the synergy of what's going on the TV show, what's going on yeah. in the movie, and it's just so stifling. You can read it. You can feel the lack of enthusiasm that creators have for working at Marvel and DC where you have a much more unbridled enthusiasm at Image and other independent comics companies. Well, and the, I and, disagree. I think if you're reading the, the main ship books of theirs, like their Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, Wolverine, X-Men, yes. But like, I'm reading Thor. What's his name? Jason Aaron is, he's really fucking with Unworthy Thor. Like, me and Fry who both read it, we're like, dude, that was a great book. Now, granted, Thor is the, the least favorite of most cinematic Marvel fans that I've talked to. Like Marvel fans, period, I think. I think uh, Thor's kind I, of the I've actually, because Jason Aaron Jason Aaron's made me a Thor fan. Like reading his but historically, Thor, historically, yeah, historically, I wasn't a huge Thor fan. I knew him from the Babysitters. Uh, oh yeah, movie. Vincent Nofrio, yeah, yeah. I, I knew him from that. I, I remember some of the animated stuff, but I was never like a huge Thor. I was never big into his mythology. It seemed kind of cool, but the artwork was hard for me. It was very aggressive. That was um, 
what was his name? Uh, Simonson. Yeah, Walt Simonson. Walt Simonson. His artwork was very aggressive, and I just, I, I, I couldn't get into it. I didn't, it, it, it seemed too far. Like, I, I felt like I was walking in the middle of the book. I never felt like I could have just jumped on. Fryho, who's a huge Thor fan, kind of got me reading the Jason Aaron stuff. I'm a Thor fan. I'm like, dude, I really enjoy Thor. I mean, it just made, so when I go back and watch the Thor movies, I, I enjoy it a little bit more. But there's, I think if you find the other, the problem is when the characters become so popular for those two companies that everyone's looking at it, that's when the company starts kind of stomping around or and trying to pigeonhole them and trying to, I guess, what, like you said, uh, formulate them so that everyone can buy into it. But when the books are under, like, I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy, if you read the stuff that the movies are based off, was great stuff. And now Bendis is writing all this weird bullshit Well, Bendis stuff. isn't doing it anymore. He, he? He, he, no, he's not doing Guardians anymore. But I you can see up, the, the Guardians comic book that exists today is the movie characters. Yeah, it's basically the movie. And, and that's my, I think the saddest thing is that all the movies have influenced the books so much where before it was the books influencing the movies. And now the books are trying to copy that movie feel and I'm like no 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 no. you should be doing something completely different so the movie has some ideas thing number one is that the Guardians one of the things that was cool about the Guardians of the Galaxy when they were first created for the comics is they were this disparate group of characters they were yeah. from all different eras of Marvel you had Bug from Micronauts in there at one point you had all these cool characters from all the from the whole of Marvel's cosmic storytelling and for the last several years ever since the movie came out you have to have those set number of characters group, and rock, you may yeah. you may take one out at a time and then put somebody else like the thing in there for a little bit Iron Man might be in there for a little bit but you still have that same core team that you're kind of stuck it's with. It's like the Fantastic Four. Yeah, you're, you're, you're stuck, stuck with, with you're, Yeah, the same characters over and over again. And the creators aren't really allowed to just go nuts with it, at least until the movies die off. And then maybe they'll, they'll give them some leeway. But in instances where they do go kind of crazy, like with Iron Man being Riri Williams, people have lost their goddamn minds about a teenage black girl being Iron Man. And they're having fights at retailer conferences about Marvel becoming all SJW and you can't have all these women and blacks and the homos. Somebody actually said homos at a retailer <laughs> summit recently. The homos. Oh my fucking god! This is where we're at. I mean, part of it's just America today, but it's like you all right, all right, get off your it, fucking soapbox. The point is, is, is it's very stifling. And Jason Aaron on Thor is the exception that proves the rule. You're always going to have like a Scott Snyder on Batman, who's just totally living the dream, that kind of bullshit. I went and got the first book of the new Invincible Iron Man Iron Heart because I want to read about what they're talking about. Yeah, I haven't read it yet, and we'll probably discuss it another time. It looks interesting. Yeah, but the point is, you may have that one book that Thor. Wow, Thor's really awesome yeah oh yeah yeah. but then the, there, there's all the oh, other yeah. books that are just like strangled under the continuity they have to keep oh trust up me with I, I try else. to i try to pick up an x-men book recently and i'm like what the fuck what in humans gas in the air killing what what well it's like i, I had to step away because i was like i felt again lost i was like yeah. i was a little disappointed in my mar in my marvel but i was like i have no idea what the fuck's going on like mutants are dying wait cyclops is dead there's gas in the sky the, the inhumans are enemies i was like this shit's too it's too i, I just walked away and went back to thor i'm like okay yeah. thor makes sense to me yeah that's sad to say but Thor made sense to me where the X-Men made no sense to me. I'm digging the cap because it's just fucking weird. Um, just okay. But okay, but take Jason Aaron. He's got that one Marvel book that he's doing that you're talking about and then most everything else he's doing is over at Image these yeah. days. Same goes for a lot of these creators. They'll have that one book where it's a passion project and it helps keep their names out there and they've got the oxygen to light a fire at, at one of the big companies but then the rest of the stuff they're doing for themselves because that's the place where they have the freedom to do well, that. But then and, they also, but they're, it's the Kirkman effect. They all want that one book that's gonna well, and why would them they? For life. Oh no, it makes sense. Well, the, the the issue I had was I remember one time I was watching this uh these interviews, this YouTube channel I like to watch, and they're interviewing creators. And as I'm watching, I realized that the creators were just doing pitches. They weren't even really talking about their books. It was a movie pitch. They were they spoke to two or three creators, and it felt like a movie pitch because mm. they would literally say, "Oh, we we designed these after certain actors," mm -hmm. or you could. Do, and I'm sitting, there, I'm like, Mark oh. Miller was bad about that. Who? Mark Miller? Really? Yeah, but you hate Mark Miller though. Yeah, Millar. but, I'm saying, but he's you he's hate one. Mark Miller. It's it's 
It's actually pronounced Miller. Miller. But, uh, but, but that's one thing that got him in trouble is he was basically pitching Hollywood so much and he would, dude, you know, he would try to push Eminem for Wanted. Dude, Halle he Berry, brought back you know, Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, Samuel well, Jackson. I don't think he brought him back, but he definitely secured him a, a, a warm dude, place dude, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, not just that. Dude. Like, Samuel L. Jackson now is one of the faces of the R- R- Mount Rushmore of acting comic book, just uh, pop Sam culture. Jackson pop was already culture. up there, though. You think you so? Know? Yeah, absolutely. Pulp Fiction was like the last real. No, he, man, that, that man never stopped working. Everybody uh, loves and respects Sam Jackson. It's not, but uh, it doesn't hurt to have that place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and to have that visibility. But they, they didn't bring him back for anything. He never left. Well, Sam, ja- Sam Jackson oh, okay, is okay. his own. Man. I, I guess need... they just elevated more. Not he... only that, well, not just that, you got to understand, Sam Jackson elevated Marvel, too. Because remember, yeah, Marvel, he gave it a cool factor. Without, without you know, guys like, because uh, think about it, as of Iron Man 1, the first cinematic movie that they did in their universe, uh, Marvel Studios, I should say. Which I just watched not too long ago. Who's the bigger name when that movie comes out? Robert Downey Jr. or Samuel Jackson? In the first one? When the first movie came out, who's the bigger name of those two actors? Sam Jackson is the bigger name of those two actors. Robert well, Downey Jr. Well, no, I, think, remember, I think people... Er, I, uh, no, no. Okay. Sam, Robert, Robert Downey Jr. was Robert on the Downey decline. Jr. was doing... No, no, no. No, no, no. Robert Downey Jr. was on the decline. Samuel Jackson, everybody thought he was going to He wasn't on the decline. He had declined. He was not bankable. He was on Ally McBeal and they dropped him from Ally McBeal because he was having too many issues with the law and with drugs. The only reason why Marvel Studios took a chance on him to be Iron Man in the first place was because they needed somebody they could get that was charismatic and cheap. Yeah. And they could get him but cheap. Everyone back when thought they, Samuel yeah. Jackson was gonna walk up and say, What's going on with these motherfuckers and motherfucker that and motherfucker this? I don't know about everybody thinking all ah. of this. Well, it was just a cameo back then too. But but he was definitely the bigger actor of those two when Iron Man came out. But he wasn't even in the movie that much. But he was the bigger actor. He was the guy who still fr- Sam Jackson was still fronting movies. Robert Downey Jr. was a straight oh, yeah, to video no, no, dude. No, 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 I'm not, he was a TV dude. I'm not de- I'm not denying that. Yeah. But I'm just saying, well, whatever, dude. I don't even know what your point is anymore. Go ahead. You go and wait. <sighs> God, Remember the part where I wanted this to be tight and you're fucking going off in the fucking stratosphere? We're going to have to do a whole other episode. It's the first fucking comic, you fucking cunt. Ugh. Okay. Hey, you wanted to bring me out, bitch. I'm out. Come on. You're out, all right. You poked the bear. The bear's out I, the I, cave. I, I, now I know what Spawnometer episode six is going to be. <laughs> fucking hell. Ah, Justice First Dawn writes. Yeah, I, just, I just imagine like you're doing the, the words and it's like 20 minutes of us just fighting and arguing about seven. Highlight delete highlight delete oh my god that's fucking amazing and it goes back to oh and we also want to thank samuel jackson uh justice first dawn writes mortal combattery between spawn violator and rolled spine podcasts and that's when i chimed in somebody had sent a i think a gift related to fatalities in the mortal combat video mm-hmm. game and i was like oh is that the thing that mortal combat did they had like the fatalities and stuff and then everybody piled on to me for being ignorant about video games because the last video game along those lines i played was street fighter i was already getting out of video games with Mortal Kombat came on. And this so Mac got tweet. in there, everybody jumped on, on That's me. That's why that I one. do not tweet. Yeah. Well, you would you would know that, though. You're still a video game guy. Yeah. But you, you would have been in the fucking, you'd have been on top of the pile. Oh, um, very, uh, like a sweaty pile. Just as First Dawn wrote, look what you made me do, digging up footage of this Shadowhawk game. I'm a little disappointed it was meant to be mostly platform gameplay. Comic games at this time seem to be better served as straight double dragon rip- riffs. I don't know if you've seen it. You know that they, Shadow, they actually developed a Shadowhawk game back I in the 90s. 
first I've uh, heard of it. Yeah, it was, it was a side scroller where he does a lot of jumping around. He, he basically, the whole thing is him shooting his grappling hook and like swinging up to different levels and fighting random dudes. So it sounds like every Contra game. Right. Or... Very, yeah, along those lines. But then at the boss level, it would become more of a Mortal Kombat-y kind of fight. That's but kind of it, it, had, it had decent That's music at least. Kind of repetitive. Well, you know though. there was a spot But anyway, game. So, so it never got released. And then somebody got the rights to it and, and put it out as uh, like a, a digital downloadable game. Mm-hmm. But they didn't actually clear any of that shit with Valentino. And so he sued them and now it's gone. Bye-bye. But you used to be able to like download this playable version of the you old game that didn't work me. out. You still can. You still can, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Jeffrey Brown wrote, I have this issue and the issue guest starring Savage Dragon and issue number zero. Do not start talking about Shadowhawk number zero. Save it for a later episode, please, sir. Okay. I know you have a lot of things to say well, about you, that one. Well, you fucking tricked me. Read, start reading Shadowhawk and I read zero first and I'm like, what the fuck am I reading? That was the Rob Liefeld issue, so sorry. Charlton Hero writes, that's some basic metal shading right there. Uh, an image of uh, Shadowhawk from the first issue, the splash page, where yeah. it had the weird logo uh, uh, for the, the story title that was in a weird like logo where it was all like two or three rows just as a brick of text. So uh, so he was commenting on the shading. Then he was saying, people crap all over Rob Liefeld for character anatomy, but Jim Valentino set the bar so low on Shadowhawk that Rob looks photorealistic. I submit for your approval, Exhibit A, Valentino's mastery of perspective and sh- foreshortening of the anatomy. And uh, what he did is he posted an image that was a promotional poster of Shadowhawk where his thighs had a six pack. It was just like weird fucking Oh, anatomy. dude, even in the book, no, the, you could tell the anatomy's way off in all the books. On the Shadowhawk books? The Shadowhawk books. Yeah, the, the ones we were looking at because I remember they looked weird. Like, he didn't look. Then you w- didn't you bring up the fact that his mask, like, his mask was never truly what? one I, mask. It was constantly yeah. evolving, almost like a Venom-type symbiote. Yeah. I brought up that Evan, Evan Dorkin brought up that he didn't want to draw that mask because he couldn't figure out Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 that's right. yeah. So, yeah, I can absolutely see that. It was kind of a cool poster. Uh, you just have to forget human anatomy to enjoy it. Uh, let's see. I think that was the, uh, I believe that was their Creo. <laughs> Uh, Dennis Hell writes, if Liefeld drew that, people would shit all over him. Well, yeah, it, it, it was interesting. The Shadowhawk episode and the promotion of it specifically, uh, a lot of people were coming out of the woodwork was like, we hate Valentino too. Because people don't run down Valentino the way they did Liefeld. Was he Liefeld. a jerk to anybody? Or? No, I think, from what I hear, Jim Valentino's a real nice guy. You know, I, I don't ever hear any crosswords. And of course, he was never the artist. You know, he was always the well, I told seventh you that. most I, I popular thought, I image artist. I thought it was weird because all those artists that came out were, I was like, remember looking, I'm like, damn, this is really great art. And then his was kind of like, Mm, like, mm. Uh, dude, Jim he Valentino like he lucked out. He lucked out when he got to leave. Valentino shared a studio with Rob Liefeld. He was friends with all those guys. Yeah, you know. But, but, why, but why do I get that he was the guy that everybody was kind of like? Eh, he's just around. Like, well, it's it's sort of funny because again in the the Shadowhawk episode, if you listen to the audio, there's that point where he's talking about how everybody thought that mine was the worst selling book, but it wasn't. So it makes you wonder. It's like, well, yeah, but which one was? And did they have a foil embossed cover? Yeah. A glow in the dark cover? The, oh God, the, the, I gotta find that. Cover. I gotta find that. Cut. That's not me. What is that? Uh, it's the alarm. So we were supposed to stop by then, or what? A long time ago, obviously. Okay. So, but yeah. So, uh, but yeah, he did. He did a, uh, uh, enhanced covers on three of the four issues, and the fourth issue had a guest appearance. So it's like, yeah, it's no wonder you probably sold a little bit better than these guys who were just selling their characters with a basic cover. Because yeah. I think most of the image books didn't have any kind of cover enhancements, right? It was just no. yeah. So, uh... Son of Cthulhu uh, wrote of the uh, Shadowhawk poster. Is he part? 
frog. Uh, Randy Caldwell wrote, I thought his art, Jim Valentino's art, on Guardians of the Galaxy was fine, but I have not touched the few books I had since they were new. I have no Shadowhawk. Uh, Son of Cthulhu wrote of the title A Walking Nightmare, A Nightmare Reading. Mm. Uh, while Anthony Durso added, De it letter, okay, basically he, he took the lettering, did he, did he think the lettering was a good idea? And he, he basically created a tower of text to write that statement similar to the title of Nightmare Walking of the first mm -hmm. issue of Shadowhawk. Um, and no, that was a terrible idea. That's why nobody else does that. Uh, finally, uh, Michelle Fife writes, another great episode, guys. I bought all these from the racks. Never read Guardians, but I was a huge fan, What If fan. And it was only until recently that I discovered that Shadowhawk was a repurposed Black Hood pitch. What? Yeah, apparently Shadowhawk was a pitch for the Black Hood character from MLJ, Archie, Red Circle, Dark Circle, whatever they're calling it these days. Mm -hmm. You know the Black Hood, though, right? That yeah. Gray Morrow used to draw him back in the day. Mm -mm. Yeah. Uh, I did not know that myself. Uh, yes. Also, the name was originally conceived for Starhawk's return, but editorial voted against it, which uh, basically Starhawk and Guardians of the Galaxy went away for yeah. a little bit and came back as the dark version of himself. So he was going to be Shadowhawk and editorial poo-pooed that. So Jim Valentino repurposed the name. I just had that image of the rainbow above us going, and the more you learn. Well, and good job. But, but, wait, that, Michelle, that, I love when people do that. Well, well, Someone and, else franked me. Well, what, what's her name? I, well, I just want to say, too, I, I, I very briefly met Michelle Fife at uh, Heroes Con or outside of Pizza Parlor outside of Heroes Con. I just shook his hand real quick because there was a diner table full of people related to the Fire and Water Podcasting Network. And it was just too crowded. There was no place. So me and Paquita went off to the side and had dinner on our own. And a few people came over and kind of visited with us. And I went over one time to say hi to everybody at the table. But Michelle Fife is actually a creator. He uh, does the uh, independent series Copra, uh, which is basically kind of a riff on Suicide Squad. Mm -hmm. I, I loaned you my copy of the first volume. I don't think you ever got around to reading it. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's got a new book coming out. I've got that on order from Fantagraphics. So I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that. So it's not just... Is that, he French-Canadian? Maybe. Oui, oui, oh, oh. I've yeah. been franked. <laughs> I've been franked. So you haven't been franked. You've been franked. I've been yeah. franked. But, and he's been very sort of the show. He seems to like Thank you. Thank you. You know what? I'm going to go no, back. Uh, I want to go back. Who? I want to go back and reread his stuff. No, I think it's cool that a creator is taking their time to look at us lonely little trolls at the bottom of the bridge and spend time with us. Thank you. And I'll, I'll check out his stuff. I'm telling you right now, you got me on this huge uh, independent book, like Riff. frenzy. Yeah, that I'm doing right now. I'm just well, and we just enjoy me a hell of a lot more. Dude, a that's, lot of time. The, that's the first Marvel book I've picked up. I haven't read yeah. anything Marvel. I, I, I've gone. It was, it was a very important month for me. The first month in like decades when I didn't buy a single DC title and it's happened repeatedly in the months since then. I don't buy Marvel and DC stuff. I haven't bought Marvel stuff in a long time because I had Marvel Unlimited. But you're not a Marvel fanboy. You, you, like, you were no. never one of us. No, I was back in the 80s. Uh, but it's been a long time. Uh, but yeah, I just, I buy independent stuff now. I just don't buy much mainstream stuff. I just, I can literally keep up with everything that's happening in, in the comics by, you know, uh, reading the news because that's all comic book resources and news and them talking mm -hmm. about is the mainstream shit. I have to actually go out and buy independent comics. So, and, I, and I'm willing to because I enjoy this so much more. And I just read your shit, so. <laughs> Sometimes you read my shit. If you read my shit consistently, we would still be putting out underguides episodes. I, whatever. This is what I have to work with. Jesus. <laughs> Two hundred and twenty-nine different characters spanning the galaxies of the Legion of Superheroes, presented across seven comic book issues. A new miniseries as part of the Who's Who podcast. To handle this many characters, the Irredeemable Shag is bringing in a ringer, or maybe we should call them flight ringers. Who's who in the Legion of Who's who in the Legion of Who's who in the Legion of Superheroes? The Legion of Superheroes. In the Legion of Superheroes. 
the Legion of Superbloggers team up to present Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes, a three-episode miniseries in 2017, part of the Who's Who podcast on the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Long live the Legion. Happy Sunday, you dirty little bastards. Um, this is a teaser for Brido and a Weirdo Talk film. I thought I'd give you just a little taste of what we're going to be talking about. It's a bit silly in places, but hey-ho, I'm a silly bastard. Take care, people. Bye-bye. <laughs> Greetings fellow Earthlings, this is a Beardo and a Weirdo talk film. I'm Matt Wright and I'm joined by... Joe Giddings. Who's known for having the biggest hands in the Greater Essex area. Yeah, I've been doing well. Now I've been sitting here for a little while thinking about ways in which I could make this look and sound professional. And then I realised that that isn't who I am. Do I look or sound professional? Look at me, I, I look fairly, fairly rugged. Well, no, well, of course when I say rugged I mean like um, vagrant-like. Not that I've got anything against vagrants. <laughs> Shit sniffer. Shit sniffer. She is. She's the one that does it and she loves it. Or space films. Spicy wavesy. Sunny day on Mars. <laughs> A warm sunny day. Sitting on the porch. Talking to Mama. So Mama's we... angry. Because she hasn't had any Mars potatoes today. And um, I'm unkept, hairy, and I've got nice flowery curtains in my man cave. What? What? Whatney? Mark Whatney. What happens is... Who's knee? There's Whatney? A, there's a massive... <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, he sort of... For want of a word, I'm a stupid person, especially when it comes to science. I don't understand water. I don't understand gravity. I don't understand chairs. But does he wank into a sock? Yeah. That sock would be like a fucking <laughs> hockey stick by the time he'd finished. Space people... He wasn't headlining, was he? That's, that's the point I'm making. He's the headliner. Well, what do you mean? He was Private Ryan. <laughs> he appears... In Saving for... Private Ryan. <laughs> Doesn't he appear for like five minutes at the end? No, he's, he's in here for a good half hour. It's about the South African... The volleyball uh, team? Volleyball team, yep, and apartheid. And their battles, adversity against the bikinis they have to wear. He's on a couple <laughs> shit sniffer. Shit sniffer. Because uh, I'm going to start talking about all sorts of films, you see. Because I like talking about films. I don't know if you noticed, but I like it. And I've realised that I've tried to write scripts and that for what I'm going to say, but then I thought, what is the point of me doing that? I might as well just write a, a written piece. So I've got the thoughts up in my nugget, and the plan is I'm going to try and in some way make them somewhat coherent and perhaps even informative and even the time little bit entertaining but if not I don't really care because do I look like I care about the way the world I really do it's all just it's all just a show it's a show I really care I want people to talk about me and my bed that's, that's pretty much it but I guess that's going to set us up potentially for another one and there, there will who are you We're fans. A 
was raised to love one thing, and I've got nothing to listen to. Nothing will stand in our way. I will edit what you started. There were podcasts about what happened. It's true. All of it. I am Tony. I am Jake Long. This is Brian, aka Breakdown. Derek, Derek WC. Hey, it's Mike Thunderwing. Secret Brothers. For the fans and by the fans. Weekly content on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. This has been a Roll Spine Podcast. Spawn and all related characters and concepts are the copyright of Todd McFarlane. If you've got something to say, tell it to our email or webpage or feed locations. We may even read them one of these days. If you're in a rush, you can hit up Diablo Frank on his Twitter feed. Hi, Mr. Fixit. Don't tweet. This is a fan-produced, not-for-profit podcast. No copyright infringement is intended for any use of copyrighted materials believed to be covered under fair use. If you don't agree, you can go straight to hell! I love you, but you drive me nuts sometimes. Right. We're in the middle of trying to synopsize the story, All and right, now you're just mind. fucking trailing it off again. <laughs> I'm just well, then you'll answer this at dinner. I, no, I well, no, I'm going to answer it right now because I'm going to have to edit the living shit of this already. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, since we've already basically done the back end stuff, <clears throat> okay. So, uh, you want to finish the synopsis now? <laughs> Christ, we didn't finish. No, we we got through issue one of four chapters. So go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I created a new character from Winnipeg. He likes getting frunked. Frunked? <laughs> <laughs> I know he'd like that. Hashtag frunked. Oh, from Winnipeg. I like some punting as I get frunked. Well, I'm saying punting. <laughs> I'm still Latino, man. But I'm from Winnipeg. And we frunk all day and frunk all night. Uh, Franco. <laughs> <laughs> Phobic? <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's Francophobic. I think if you're a Francophile, I guess you could be a Francophobe as well. <laughs> Francophobic. Oh, it sounds like, like, what you doing time here for? I said, uh, we, we, I'm Francophobic. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, why don't you pick up with the synopsis where we left off? <laughs> and cut and edit here. Um, okay. <laughs> Come on. Stay with me. We're almost done with this. I know you are, but stay with me. I knew we should have gotten this done earlier. No, dude. I've been up to seven. I'm exhausted. <laughs> okay. We're almost done. We're almost done. Uh, okay. <laughs> We're almost there. We're almost there. We're almost there. Okay. 
Uh, the stories are still terrible. It's still a, a terrible book. It's just terrible for reasons that, that different reasons that I thought it was going to be. But I'm still kind of jazzed about like the source material that they're stealing from, and I'm just kind of curious to see what they end up doing with this stuff that they're borrowing from. Please tell me it recorded. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's about it. It's all very interesting. 